What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode 20 of the Peon Podcast. It's crazy that I've done 20 episodes, but also feels like it should be more because I feel like I've been doing this for a while. But I'm happy to say that I've got to 20. That's crazy. Uh, today on the show, we have Alexa Mejia, who is the sous chef at a restaurant here in Austin called Barley Swine. She's the first in a series of podcasts I'll be doing over the next few weeks, talking to people involved in uh, in the creation or in Barley Swine today. Barley Swine is a restaurant that's very near and dear to my heart. I I spent 10 years idolizing that restaurant and Bryce Gilmore and all the work that the people at Barley Swine were doing. Uh, and and then I finally had the chance to work there uh, for about two years, two-something years, I think. Um, if you'd like to hear the full story of how that restaurant came about and what you know, my perspective on, on that. Obviously, I don't know every detail, but I can give you the rundown of how that restaurant sort of came about and the history of it in, in Austin terms because I was there for it. And then my sort of journey to end up ending up working there. If you'd like to hear that, that is a Patreon-exclusive episode. And uh, you can get to that at, uh, you know, uh, pnmagazine.com slash support. I'll also probably put a link down at the in this description. Uh, yeah, that's like a solo episode. I'll I'll, I'll leave up there, and uh, just me telling stories and and talking about that restaurant. But uh, long story short, is uh, Barley Swine is a is a restaurant that started here in in Austin. Started as a food truck called Odd Duck, which uh, Bryce Gilmore opened, and it was a, it was crazy. Like uh, food trucks were back then were very. Austin, you know, anything outside of Austin, it was considered like a roach coach, you know, a taco truck, right? But in Austin, there was a huge scene of of actually good food coming out of food trailers because there was such a low overhead and it was accepted by, you know, the health department, which is wild. And then also uh, widely accepted by, you know, they, they didn't frown upon food coming out of a food trailer, which is, which is great. But Bryce opened this little food truck called Odd Duck and uh shoved in a charcoal grill into this little fucking trailer uh and then was doing like farm forward food out of this truck it was it was wild uh that didn't last very long because he was obviously a very ambitious person he ended up opening up uh barley swine which which was a uh, fine dining restaurant here, here in austin it still is but back back in the day it was down south uh, in in this tiny little kitchen that could f- fit 40 people a night um and uh was doing some of the most uh progressive and like forward-thinking food probably in this in the whole south i think i mean he 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 was nominated for a number of awards uh including like best new chef rising chef all that gems beard shit you know what i mean never won because he was always competing with like people in chicago and stuff because back in the day that was considered like Midwest or something like that. There was never a separate category. Anyway, um, he opened up Barley Swine and then um, very quickly opened up um, Odd Duck, which is a little more casual, not as much of a barrier to entry, I guess you could say, with that restaurant. Uh, Barley Swine was and still is kind of a more fancy. It's a fancy place. It's, um, it's you know, wine forward. It's, you know, tasting menu. Um, it's an experience. Odd Duck is a little more casual, but same style of food. But it's it's a place you could go like, you know, once a month with family and make it a special occasion still. Uh, that was opened 
through a series of circumstances on the actual plot of land that the original Odd Duck trailer was on. And then gradually, once that was up and running, they opened up Sour Duck, which is also here in Austin. And it's a, it's sort of a uh, bakery and you know casual more even more casual than odd duck it's it's a place you can go every day you, there's a patio and you can you know get baked goods you can get breads and and coffee and cocktails it's it's kind of an all all encompassing kind of place um, but it's a place you can go every day so uh, yeah that's a little quick history of of uh, the barley swine empire I guess you could say the Bryce Gilmore empire um, and then uh, I through a series of of through a long series of circumstances, um, I ended up working at Barley Swine. But before I get into that, um, one of the first experiences I had, actually the first experience I had at Barley Swine was, man, back in the day, it was like 2013 or something like that. It must have been somewhere around that time. Um, I went to dinner with a friend of mine who just passed away uh, this last week, Nick Leva. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to point that out because it was—it's weird that I'm, I'm posting these these episodes, and I would have mentioned him anyway. But it's wild that uh, yeah, he passed away last week, and and uh, and now I'm I'm talking about him. Uh, yeah, he was he was a guy so 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 nice, just the sweetest person. When I started Eastside King, it was my first cooking job, and I was terrified, and I was. Um, not really welcomed uh, by a lot of people. I mean, they were nice, you know, but uh, but uh, Nick was so welcoming. He was, you know, we went we went to dinner together, and and he was we used to drink beers at his apartment, and he was such a sweetheart. Um, oh man, it sucks. It sucks that he's gone now because he's such a such a nice guy. Um, like uh, I still have one of his knives that he gave me. He gave me my first my first kitchen knife. And uh, and a bunch of other stuff, you know. He's such a such a sweet person. Um, but yeah, he he took me under his wing, you know. Uh, and uh, we went we went out to eat um, at Barley Swine for the first time. So he was the first guy that I met that really wanted to like dig into to cooking and 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 food in that way. And uh, and he forced me out of my shell, you know. He he was like, yeah, let's go to let's go eat at Barley Swine. And I was like, fuck yeah, this guy knows about fucking Bryce Gilmore. Um, so we go and eat there and, and it was a huge, huge eye-opening moment. I mean, I saw Bryce Gilmore for the first time in the flesh and, and Mark Bewley and, and all these people working this, this line. And, um, and it was, it was so revolutionary in my mind. So this tiny little kitchen forcing out this, these amazing dishes, um, with, with produce that, to be honest, was not very good at the time. Uh, the Texas produce scene is pretty, it's blossomed a lot now, but back then it was, it was pretty, pretty bland and kind of, um, and there wasn't much variety, but Bryce was putting out this amazing food and it was so small that he could literally reach down the bar and like hand you his, the food, you know? And it was so small that you were literally elbow to elbow with the person next to you. And, me and and Nick are just these two sweaty line cooks who just got off work early at a food trailer, like one of the grubbiest food trailers in town, and and we've still got our backpacks on and shit, and we're like sitting at the bar, and they somehow knew us or something, and and they they gave us free food and they treated us just like we were part of their their crew, you know? They they're like, oh, they're service industry people, we got to treat them right. 
And I never expected that coming from, there was so much distance between what Isai King was doing with this grubby little food truck and what Bryce was doing at, at that restaurant. But they made us feel so welcome. And, uh, and he gave us, uh, I think, one or two free items or something like that. And um, back then, you were suggested to get like three or four items off of this this huge menu. Well, it felt huge for the for the place, for how small it was. And then, so you would get things, and then the person next to you would get other things. And so it started this great conversation of the people next next to you. Oh, what did you get? Oh, that's crazy. Oh, how, how was that? Should we get that? Like, it just forced you into conversation with the people next to you. And and I just remember thinking, like, like uh, how... Again, I keep saying it, how welcomed we were, even though we were like these sweaty, you know, 23 year olds just got off of work and we're like dirty and, you know, I don't know. It was, it was a truly memorable experience. Yeah. Like I said, I still remember it to this day. Yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Nick. Um, but because of that experience, I ended up staging at, at Barley twice, but I, I, I never thought I would. I would be able to work at a place like that. I always had this complex that I'm like, I can't, I can't work there. You know, I'm not good enough or, or, um, I don't, I didn't really have the drive to, you know, I always had ulterior motives. I wanted to do other, other creative projects and I thought it would take too much time away from me, which I kind of was right. You know, when I ended up working there, um, in right during the pandemic, really, it was like 2019 to 2022, 2023, actually, I think I, think I quit in January this year, I think, something like that, um, January or February. Um, it, uh, it really did take up all of my time. It, uh, it kind of, kind of, you know, ruined elements of my life and stuff like that, um, which, you know, it is what it is, but it, it's, it's a place that it, it was, it was meant, you know, to be hard. It's meant to, you know, make you learn. And that's exactly why I went there. I, I was like, I was like, ah, if I can't, if I can't do this, then I shouldn't be in this industry. That was kind of my, my mentality, whether it's, it's healthy or not. I was just like, um, I got to do this. You know, I've always, I've always had this thing in my head. Can I work in fine dining? And, and I just had to prove it to myself. And, uh, and I did, I did really well there, I think. Um, and so it's given me a lot of confidence in my, my personal life and uh, also in my cooking life that, I mean, now I've worked the grill at Barley Swine and, and I can, I can work anywhere pretty much not just work anywhere, but like have the confidence to work anywhere and just feel comfortable. You know, I, I'm not scared of anything in, in cooking anymore. <laughs> I used to be so scared and, and now, now it's like, it's like, it's fucking nothing. I got it. Um, and also to have the confidence of the people running that to, uh, to, uh, put their confidence in me that that feels really good um so that's a little short history like i said if you want to hear the full thing that's up on the patreon uh, and um yeah so the first in this series is uh like i said alexa mejia at barley swine she's the sous chef when i first started working at barley you know when I when I walk into any kitchen, really, I try to look at who 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 has the answers. You know, who's going to show me what's the right thing to do, and or what's the optimal thing to do. You know, um, I'm always looking for those people, and um, you know, the example of how how to conduct yourself in this restaurant. And 
Alexa was that person, I think. Uh, there were, I mean, obviously so many people in that restaurant. Everybody's of such high quality working there. But uh, Alexa is on like a different level, you know. She's uh, she's amazing. I really looked up to how she conducted herself, and also her 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 food is incredible. Her dishes, the dishes he puts out, are incredible. And uh, I'm I'm I used to be sort of a, a very manic kind of person. Um, I was complimented by Bryce for my my quote unquote hustle, and uh, and I do sort of have that. But when I first saw Alexa like work I was like man okay you don't have to be so fucking frantic all the time you know um she was so composed she's doing the same amount of work I was but with like way more calm and way less movements and so I always looked to that and was like yeah I I don't need to be freaking out right now just calm down and you know uh compose yourself you know um on top of many many other things I mean Alexa's one of the best chefs I've ever seen and uh and uh she's got one of the best like outlooks um as you'll hear in this episode i've i always I always thought like you know like everybody else in this industry who who sort of like gets into it, you think you want to work at the best places or you have this idea that you you should work at the best places for the best people but um what I've noticed uh throughout this series of interviews that I've done uh Alexa included these the people running these restaurants that I love so much, they don't really have that mindset. Their 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 minds are in it in it on something different, something more important, which is uh, putting out great food and um, and the values behind the restaurants that they work at, which took me so long to learn. Right, Barley Swan was the first place where I realized that that is so important: the value behind the food and behind the restaurant culture and behind you know the restaurant itself. Not just the work culture, but yeah, uh, it was it was amazing, and so I'm I'm so happy that that she decided to come on and, and talk. Uh, I think it's a great uh, introduction to this whole series. Um, so it's it's quite a long one, so I'll uh, I'll leave it here. Like I said, um, feel free to check out Barley Swine on Instagram. Just kind of see who they are and what they do. Um, if you'd like a little introduction, or you're interested in diving a little deeper into the history of Barley Swine and Bryce Gilmore, uh, the easiest thing to do is just go on on Max and watch uh, No Reservations, I think. I, I don't have the episodes off the top of my head, but there's an episode called like U.S. Heartland, I think it is, where uh, in the early seasons where Bourdain went to, you know, the trailer. And then there is another episode called Austin, where Bourdain went to the original Barley Swine, the tiny little spot, and you could tell just how impressed he was, and and uh, Bryce ended up feeding him chicken testicles. So that's definitely worth a watch. That those are both on Max. You can watch those, and you can kind of see where where Bryce and Barley Swine are coming from. And uh, yeah, look on on Instagram. I will be back in uh, two weeks with a new episode. But if you join the Patreon as well, I've started uploading those episodes early to Patreon. Uh, there's no introductions. It's just the straight up interview, but you get it a week early. And um, yeah, again, enjoy this episode. Uh, as always, if you'd like to support, just downloading this episode really helps. Sharing this episode, uh, sharing on Instagram, just sharing, getting the word out, liking, rating, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't, it seems like it it doesn't help or doesn't do anything but really just a tiny little thing like that uh helps a bunch phmagazine.com support 
if you want to like donate or if you want to donate at the bottom of this episode uh, just scroll down there's a little link uh, okay yeah enjoy this episode up in the service industry, which is something I haven't talked to anybody about, but you, you've been in it your entire life, pretty much. And you never, you never once thought, actually, I kind of, to some degree, had, was, grew up in service because my dad was a military cook and I wanted to get the hell out, but you were like in it and you wanted to stay in it. Um, I absolutely wanted to stay in it. My oh. father, my entire life has been a restaurant manager which being a manager of restaurants inevitably means that you love food. Um, Never graduated from college. He worked his way, my father's Puerto Rican, moved to New York, did the pure, I'm gonna work from the bottom up, dishwasher, um, turn, bartender, realized he could make a lot of money being a bartender, become bar manager, then started working the floor full service became agm gms of restaurants and this is all in new york this is all in new york when he was much younger that's ultimately how he met my mother um in the classic story of how i met your mother (laughs) (laughs) um but they were both bartenders my father was the bar manager they decided to move to seattle because my father got a better an actual AGM job Mm -hmm. and not just running a bar. And my mother was like, sure, yeah, I'll follow you. And from then on, my father's always ran restaurants. And my mother, she coincidentally has a degree in hotel and restaurant management, which she got before she met my father. But she ended up going the hotel route. Okay. She worked for Hilton's in San Francisco. She's worked for uh, currently Princess Cruises. She just, just decided that's what she wanted to do. Um, yeah. So my both my parents were always service industry. But my mother, because she did that degree, she had some time at a culinary school. It was like not a full culinary degree, mm-hmm. but a small one. Was it like part of the hospitality? Yeah, it was part oh, of her okay. degree, which ultimately just meant that I ate really good growing up. <laughs> yeah. So between my father and my mother, they had a lot of care for food. Mm-hmm. Um, is your father are, is your father a good cook as well? He is. Um, because later he worked for a larger corporate company oh. that he would go to these trainings on how to make all the food and then he would go and teach okay. the kitchen managers at the individual restaurants. Okay. Um, so he has some moderate culinary training as well. But I, I probably ate out at restaurants more than the average child. Yeah. Um, Did you eat at their restaurants or like hotels? I would eat at their mm-hmm. hotel restaurants there. We would, travel probably more on discount than most kids Mm -hmm. um i wouldn't say we were above middle class or anything but we were comfortably in the middle class and both my parents worked because they found 
joy out of it and i mm-hmm. think there's something in service industry people that they don't know how to stop yeah, that's um true. but yeah. i i ate really well i remember when i left the house i ended up going to culinary school a year after high school i went to the cia and when i went there and i was in a dorm room with other kids my age mm-hmm. i realized I never really grew up eating boxed pasta, like oh, dried yeah. pasta at all. That's, yeah, I remember you telling, telling us that. That's crazy. So yeah. I never ate a lot of canned food. And I remember my mother always telling me that she didn't like to buy canned vegetables because mm-hmm. she was tortured by her mother when she was young. <laughs> so she, yeah, She was forced to eat a lot of canned vegetables. Yeah, because she was born in the 60s. So oh, yeah. She, yeah. That was the age of canned food. Yeah, yeah. so she had a trauma around canned food. (laughs) So I pretty much ate fresh vegetables, handmade pasta. My mother had a pasta extruder. She knew how to cook. My father knew how to cook. If we weren't cooking at home, we were dining out at a nice restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of was spoiled. And I didn't (laughs) have any clue to knowing that I had this palate that no one else did. Like, I went to school and people had never eaten oysters or calamari or basic things. Fish. Oh, yeah. Some people don't have fish. Yeah, I had no idea people didn't eat fish under the age of 18. (laughs) Yeah, my family rarely ate fish. Rarely. Yeah. I. That's wild. But you came from the other way. And they were when they said box pasta, were you like, "What's that?" And then they had to explain it to you. Well, I remember Camber like Helper and stuff. That kind of I stuff. remember one of my doormates said they wanted to eat spam, spam and like Kraft mac and cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah which okay. I whisper it like, "Is that the correct <laughs> thing?" Somebody's gonna hear us. Am I saying it right? <laughs> um. Uh. Or beanies and weenies? Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. I've but never eaten did that. Did you know what spam was? No. No. That was yeah. the first time. I you think I was that. 19 or 20. I, yeah, I was like, what's spam? <laughs> did you try it? Have you tried it? Yeah, because I remember yeah. we were all so poor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By poor, I mean we didn't have jobs because we just went to college. Yeah. Um, so we weren't poor by any means we were going to an expensive school as well as because you're in culinary school, your lunches and your dinners and your breakfast, even they're part of the classes. So you eat the, the classes, let's say there's 12 kids in each class. They space them out. So you either have a morning class, you have an afternoon class or you have a dinner class and there's enough classes that they can feed the whole school. So they just sort of organize it in a way that you eat all their leftovers. Because if you have 12 kids and each kid has to make a batch of biscuits, that's a lot of biscuits. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so we ate very well at the school, Mm -hmm. but on the weekends we had to feed ourselves. Typically, for whatever reason, the kids I was in classes with wanted to eat things like spam and mac and cheese. Yeah. And I also never really ate a whole lot of um, fast food growing up. Mm -hmm. Not because 
my mother was too good for it, but my father loved to grill. So like he'd make burgers at home. Um, as well as my father worked in restaurants. So if we went to one of his restaurants, we could eat burgers and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, and so it was a very weird eye opening experience going to school and discovering that I wasn't like the other kids (laughs) because in high school, I don't ever remember feeling that different, but I, or even younger than that. I, yeah, I just don't remember. You didn't have like a box lunch that was different than everybody else's or anything like that. Or just eat the the lunch at schools because the lunch at schools is pretty sh- shitty. I never ate the lunches at school. Yeah, me neither, but... um, I once I got to high school, I'm trying to remember what I ate before. I thought it was just like peanut. Oh, I do remember. <laughs> at a very young age, my mother packed me a sandwich, and I think it was like nicer bread. It had um, salami on it. I remember that and cheese and some lettuce. Let's say it's an Italian, but like kid version. Yeah. And I remember by the time lunch rolled around, I would open my sandwich and the salami would be so stinky that I would be (laughs) embarrassed to eat it in front of people. (laughs) So I remember telling my mother, mom, can you not make it with salami because it's stinky by lunchtime? Because, <laughs> you know, they're like making your lunch at like 5 a.m. And then yeah. they put it in your little yeah, and it's not staying cold lunchbox and it yeah. doesn't stay cold. Yeah. And I remember my mother saying, do you not like it? Like she cared. She yeah. tried really hard to make a good sandwich. Yeah. She probably cracked pepper, oh, seasoned it. Nice. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And she was like, well, what would you like me to make you? And I remember saying, I just want a peanut butter sandwich. She's like, that's it? (laughs) (laughs) My mother, it's not that she was overfeeding us by any means, but I do recall being maybe like eight years old and having a conversation like that, (laughs) which is a very odd conversation for a child to have. Yeah. Now, did did she bake the bread and then also make the peanut butter? Like, did she... Like My mother was, it that was not much of a baker. She okay. was not a bread maker, but she cared about the ingredients she purchased. Oh, okay. Um, nice. she, pasta was her thing. Oh, okay. She loved extruding. We ate pasta probably once a week at least. And she extruded her pasta. Let's say my mother made mac and cheese. Kids were eating the box stuff. My mm-hmm. mother was making a roux, making a bechamel, wow. turning it into a mornay, folding in extruded wow. pasta, because if you're going to bake it, you don't have to blanch the pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was uh, unique, to say the least. She was doing all of this after work. Like working a full day and then. Oh, that's another thing. Um, Dinners were at like nine. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Dinners were later. I, to this day, I'm baffled by the fact that Thanksgiving is served around one noon. It's served at like four at the latest. Yeah. Yeah. My family, if we did Thanksgiving, we were eating 
eight or nine. Like my family, even wow. now on my days off, I know I have a different sleep schedule now mm-hmm. being a, a restaurant chef, but I confidently sit down for dinner sometimes at 11. Like, oh, yeah. I just cooked for the last hour and a half. Yeah. Here's dinner. And it's fine. Yeah. And it is fine. And then you can just go to sleep right after that? Uh, maybe around two. Yeah. Okay. Not a, I'm not, yeah, that seems I'm not grandma. I work <laughs> yeah. in the service industry. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre to just go to sleep right after. But that seems, that seems normal for uh, cooks to for go to cooks. bed at that time. Definitely. Like, most cooks don't even eat at all. So, I mean, at least as you're cooking. I also don't eat at all sometimes. <laughs> just go straight to sleep. Yeah. That is something a lot of people are perplexed by. Yeah. The one meal a day. Yeah. The lunch meal. Yeah. The pre-service meal. Yeah. Now, uh, did your did you learn a lot from your parents, or was most of what you learned at culinary school? Because it sounds like your your mom was was like really knowledgeable, at least more than most. I would say everything I know now I've learned outside of the house. Okay. Um, but did she give you a foundation? She gave me a pretty strong foundation. Like, she would she would make baby back ribs. And I remember her ripping the silver skin off the underside mm-hmm. of the ribs. Yeah. There's adult chefs I know now that <laughs> don't know to do that. How many times have you yeah. gone to a rib joint and you go to bite it and you can't get through that silver skin mm-hmm. and you think to yourself, your mother oh. didn't teach you this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my foundation was very strong going into school. I remember thinking in the first six months of culinary school, these kids are not going to make it. (laughs) Yeah. They are not going to make it. You know, they teach you how to make fresh pasta and Mm -hmm. they have that well and everything. And I was like, people were like, what do I do next? And you have the well with the eggs in it. And I was like, what does your brain tell you to do? You whisk the eggs, you mix in the flour. Yeah. Also with Food Network, you never watched yeah. <laughs> Emeril Lagasse doing yeah. this yeah. with a live studio audience. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Watched a lot of culinary TV in that house. I have to say. Yeah. I were the were the students there? Did like I feel like nowadays some of the culinary students are like kind of just attracted to chefdom or like cooking because it's kind of a viable career now you know what i mean but back then if you're paying that much money to go to a prestigious culinary school were they actually interested in it or were they just looking for a career focus it was pretty split i would say half of the class would have been around my age like i i actually got an associate's degree from a community college that i lived close to so I wasn't straight out of high school. I was okay. I was a full year out. And okay. it was either straight out of high school age or we're talking like 30-year-olds. Oh, yeah. Like trying to get a second second career. Or second career people. Figure out what's going or on. Or people who just had enough money who wanted <laughs> to do it. That's wild. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. And was this the CIA in New York? The one in Greystone. Is that? Is that in California? That's in Napa. Napa? Okay. So St. Helena specifically, which is okay. 30 minutes north. Oh, okay. My friend lives there right now. Oh. Yeah. They just did an outstanding in the field, like today. Cool. Or yesterday. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. 
Um, I remember, because I lived in L.A. County for so long, I remember trying to decide what culinary school to go to. Um, And my parents had enough college fund put away for me that it was going to pay for most of it or the first year. So low loans. Um, My sister went the military route, so I had all of her money. (laughs) My parents were like, you can have her money. We saved it for her. She doesn't need it now, thanks to the government. Thank you, Navy. Um, But I visited Greystone, and I thought to myself, I can't live here. This is the middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah? There was nothing... Is it, like, deep in wine country? It's deep in wine country. So you're surrounded by wineries mm-hmm. which is great if you're 21 yeah <laughs> now when you're 19 yeah. i guess i was just about to be 20 and i graduated at, i was 21 by the time i graduated mm-hmm. but it was very small town there was one grocery store a lot of vineyards several boutique restaurants Mm -hmm. um, that were really fun to go to and explore. And I learned a lot from them all. I ended up doing my externship in Yontville, um, which is where the French Laundry is. Mm -hmm. And I did my externship at Bottega, which is a Michael Chiarello restaurant, which most of my horror stories of cooking come Come from. from that externship yeah was that a michelin place or was that just a very high quality high quality he he was a little tv famous okay he had a cooking show on food network i think it was the cooking channel okay i don't remember okay i can't quite remember what it was called myself but all i knew when i started working there was that he was famous (laughs) he was famous what did you get to choose the restaurant or was that just a for uh, was that was made you definitely uh, get to choose the restaurant. Yeah. You also have to stage. Oh, do you really? Yeah, you have so to stage. So they can deny you if you don't. Oh, yeah. Wow. They can also not pay you. I got paid. Oh. <laughs> but What do you mean not pay you? They just decide, like, no, you didn't do yeah. good enough work? And well, no, they or? would. It was an opportunity to work at a restaurant when you had no experience. Okay, I see. Yeah. But I had experience. Wow, Okay. I, my first job was at a Marie Callender's even when I was 16 or 15 years old. Well, yeah. Did you go straight into kitchens? Like your first jobs were just straight So when I was in high school, I started yeah. cooking. It oh, was, damn. You just went straight into the kitchen. No dishwashing first, no busing, any of that? I was like a 120 pound girl. No one wanted me <laughs> busing or dishwashing. I don't think I would have gotten the job. But yeah. I remember I had a friend that worked at Marie Callender's. He was... If you don't know what Marie Callender's is, is, it's a pie shop slash oh, okay. restaurant. So they have the pie cases. The, so yeah. yeah, they have the pie cases. Yeah. So it was a pretty healthy chain in California. Which around the time I started working there, they started closing aggressively. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you know Marie Callender's chicken pot pies from the freezer section. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, if you yeah. go through the freezer section, you'll definitely uh-huh. find a Marie Callender's yeah. pie. They're still around? Oh, yeah. The, the pies, at least? The freezer stuff is. I don't yeah. know if the restaurant still <laughs> exists. Yeah. That was over 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Was that was that a was that a uh, West Coast chain? 
Just pies? And it like was definitely a West Coast chain. Meat pies and things? Meat pies, things, full diner menu. So they would oh, do so like breakfast. Okay, okay. Breakfast, into lunch, sandwiches, into dinner, like chicken fried steaks. Okay. What were you working there? Beef tenderloin. Oh. So I... <laughs> Quote, unquote, beef tenderloin. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. do some air quotes. There's definitely a fryer station. So I got hired because my friend over Thanksgiving, he mm. was working there. And he said, oh, over Thanksgiving, they hire a bunch of staff because so many people buy pies from this place that oh, okay. they just need hands like putting pies in boxes. Uh-huh. And so I applied. I interviewed. And originally, you know, I'm just some 15-year-old who's going to work the weekend or maybe I was 16. Let's go with 16. That seems like California law, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was 16. It was about the first time I could get a job. I interview with the two managers, and I remember telling them about my passion for baking. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "I, I really want this job because of my passion for baking, and I think that working in a pie shop will really open up all these opportunities for me. You know, I'm a young yeah, girl. Star-eyed. Yeah, star-eyed. <laughs> this will be great. They're like, you understand what the job is, right? You're just going to be putting pies in boxes. And I said, well, and they were like, well, we, we need help in the kitchen also. Yeah. And I said, really? Yeah. Like, Did you jump at it? <laughs> yeah, I was so excited. They were like, yeah, it's really hard work, though. We've never had a girl in the kitchen. And this is the front of house managers interviewing me. Yeah. So they're like, okay, you're going to start this day. I go in and for whatever reason, the front of house section didn't need me. And so the front of house manager goes to the kitchen manager in the back and goes, ah, she's yours for the day. And he looks at me and goes, I don't want her. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I'm just like young, smiley girl. Excited. And he's like, well, we accidentally overstaffed the front of house, but she said she wants to learn how to bake. And I was like, well, I know how to bake. I just, someday I want to be a baker. Mm -hmm. Um, And he looks at me. He's like a 50-year-old Guatemalan man. He's like five foot. Yeah. He has a gold tooth. (laughs) He looks at me. So he's been in the restaurant industry for a He goes, okay. You can uh, you can make the biscuits. Okay. It was like mix and yeah. add water. And it oh. was like literally the measurements were one of these pitchers, three flats <laughs> of eggs. Like okay. they weren't measurements. They had like these devices for measurement. Yeah. So that it's like idiot proof kind exactly. of for those restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did that and he was like, okay, it turned out good. You did pretty good. <laughs> And then I got put on pies. They were like, come back at 5 a.m. Oh, shit. I said, 5 a.m.? They were like, yeah, we have to make a lot of pies. So I show up. They put me with, coincidentally, the busser, because they were so short-staffed for the holiday. Me and the busser were responsible for baking off, like, 2,000 pies. Just you two? Just the two of us. So they had a huge machine that basically mixed the pie dough. Then that machine would dump into a conveyor belt and it would like portion the pie dough into balls, almost Uh like a tortilla machine. Okay. 
um, it would portion it into balls, and then those balls would, like, go down this conveyor belt and fall into one of those aluminum pie trays. Yeah. And then there was this huge metal device with a hydraulic on it that yeah. would punch the dough into the into pie shell. Yeah. And then another, like, rolling cutter would cut the edge of the pie into, like, that so pretty crimped look. To, you'd pretty much have to make the dough and then... Yeah, so there was a guy that got there at, like, 2 a.m. to make all these shells, and they had all these metro racks that were very narrowly organized. Yeah. And they would fill walk-ins, like, huge walk-ins with. Then me and this busser pulled these metro racks out, and they were just filled with the pie shells. They had a huge conveyor belt oven, like a carousel oven oh yeah okay so the door would open in the front and it looked like you were staring into a furnace <laughs> and yeah. it was a deck maybe like six by eight uh -huh. and you would throw like frisbee throw all these pie shells <laughs> why was it still moving no you could okay. stop okay. it okay. we frisbee <laughs> yeah. throw all these pie shells yeah. into this deck and then we had this ladle that we would pull like 50 gallon drums of pie filling okay. from the walk-in uh -huh. and we would scoop, each oh, ladle was one pie. Yeah. Then you had to reach into this deck oven what? and then pour the pie filling yeah. into each one of these shells and you just kept doing until you filled the whole thing. Yeah. And then you would rotate the carousel. And then do it all over again? Do it all over again. Wow. And I was like 16 and the busser, I felt like we were racing each other. He didn't speak English. <laughs> My Spanish was high school level. Yeah. And we were just like, I remember my forearm hurting in ways it had never hurt. Yeah. I was, you know, trying my hardest. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to do a good job because there was no way for me to communicate that I was trying my best to this person. Yeah, so you just had to show it. it. Yeah. yeah. I had to show yeah, it. I know what you mean, yeah. Same with the kitchen manager. He spoke some English, but huh. not that well. And I remember at the end of the day, that busser told the kitchen manager how well I did. Oh, nice. And they spoke to the front of house manager. I never worked a front of house shift ever nice. i got the job that day <laughs> <laughs> scored uh, i was so happy and they were like so the guy who works breakfast on the weekends his baby mama wants him home on sundays so if you want that job you can have it and i said what does working breakfast mean they're like just oh, show shit. up We'll oh, tell no. you how it goes. <laughs> Sunday breakfast. Exactly. Holy shit. So basically, I was thrusted into being a brunch cook, a brunch cook. for <laughs> the first year of my culinary life. Holy shit. Did I ever make pies again? Only during the holidays because God, there dude. was already a pie team. And, yeah, yeah. You know, over Thanksgiving, they're selling like a thousand pies a day Jeez. throughout the regular week. They're only selling yeah. like 150 to 200 pies. So it was definitely more of a seasonal pie operation. So I kissed my baking dreams goodbye <laughs> and said, hello, I'm your egg cook. Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot because the AM person in a baking or in a restaurant sense, they open the line. 
so they're the first people in the kitchen mm -hmm. and they have to prep the lunch person while serving breakfast so it yeah. really teaches you about accountability you can't just show up do your job and leave you're going to be working until that lunch cook is prepared because that lunch cook is coming right at the beginning of the shift and they, they, and they no just go time. right to cooking and they then go straight into cooking them, so. so i like heat up the soups i heat up so you know how a lot of restaurants it's like this is the menu between this time and this time yeah and then it transitions this, and then it goes to lunch and then it goes to dinner that's how this restaurant was set up yeah. so i I would have to, at the end of my shift, set myself up for the next day. Mm -hmm. And I would have to turn all my nine pans. It was, it was extremely rewarding to be responsible for my own stuff as yeah. well as having tasks that helped the kitchen. So it was yeah. like I was doing prep, but I was also responsible for myself. So yeah. I had tickets that I had to make sure had appropriate ticket times. And I'll have you know that servers at diners, they're not walking through the table unless it's right. Like if you hand oh, so them they, a burnt, oh, yeah, because they were the expos. I yeah. just got a ticket and I would hand them the food. If I handed them eggs that weren't over easy, they weren't walking into the table and they would say, can you redo my eggs? Or... Shit. Oh, yeah, they were cutthroat. Like this is L.A. Yeah, but too, I'm yeah. also 16 years old. <laughs> like, and if a 45-year-old server yeah. with, like, an arthritis <laughs> wristband oh, yeah, on <laughs> yells at me, I'm going to do whatever she says. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I would say that job that I had for two years while I was while at school. Two years. Yeah, I also was in high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I respected that job more than anything because I really do think that I would not be the chef I am today yeah. if I didn't have to work out of cryovac bags from the freezer and yeah. understanding the difference between putting up food and putting up the food right Yeah, because you're policed by your peers in a way. That's good. Yeah, that's that's a very good thing to learn. But I love that job. There's a lot of kitchens that don't kind of hold people to a standard. That definitely happens at Barley Swine. It's like everybody's, if one person slips a little bit, everybody kind of gives them shit to the, to the point where, in a, in a good way, to where they kind of come up to that standard to some degree. That's a very good thing to learn early. 16 years old? I mean, I was a an idiot 16 you're in you're in the kitchen like yeah. learning shit that uh cooks at at 30 don't learn that's no, crazy I, I really respected that job so when i i went to culinary school not because i thought i needed to learn how to cook because mm -hmm. at that point i knew i could follow a recipe yeah it was because the with having a place like Marie Callender's on my resume, yeah. it wasn't going to be getting me fine dining level opportunities. Wait, so did you know at that point you wanted to go into fine dining? Is I knew I wanted your... to be a chef. Okay. At that point, I gave up. I really wanted to be a pastry chef for a very long time in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't anymore. Yeah. 
but when I went to culinary school, I wanted to go for baking and pastry. pastry. And my father, being the industry person he is, said that that would close a lot of doors for me. Huh. Um, Why did he say that? Because if I have a culinary degree and it's under baking and pastry, then let's say I wanted to be a chef. From him being a careerist, he's like, in my eyes, that tells me that they're less experienced in this field. That's true. But if they want to be a pastry chef and they have a culinary arts degree, I I see nothing wrong with that, is what he always told me. And I, looking back on it now, I do a lot of baking and pastry. And I think knowing the full well-roundedness of what the culinary arts has to offer was the right decision. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you went straight from, oh, yeah, that's how we got on this. So you, you, that was your, the experience you had going into that fine dining restaurant. It from, was. From the cooking Yeah, you have a year of culinary school and then you go on externship in the middle of the two years. A lot of places do it at the end, which I'm glad it was in the middle because you basically learn fundamentals in the first year Mm -hmm. and your second year is about cuisines. So you learn about... Oh, each like each uh, country. Exactly. Um, So I, I went with the knowledge of my first job and an entire year of just kitchen fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And I started working for Michael Chiarello. And I was extremely humbled, not by what I had to do, but by the way they treated me. Yeah. Was it, was it a pretty male-dominated kitchen? Yes, there was no other women. You were the only woman there. Yeah, honestly, wow, okay. I guess the pastry chef... The pastry chef was this French woman. I can't quite remember her name. It'll come to me. Uh, she was Korean and French. Oh, okay. But she was born in France. Her mm-hmm. parents were Korean. Okay. But she... I actually started in the pastry department in the first two weeks I was on externship because they were short-staffed. And she was tough as nails. And I mean, most French people are, but she would be like, Alexa, Alexa, listen to me. You're not listening to me. And she would just yell at me all the time. But I think it was the French in her. Not mean. (laughs) She was just always like, oh, you're so, you're such a space cadet. Da, 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 da. And I wasn't. I was just didn't understand what she was saying sometimes. (laughs) She had like a thick accent. Oh, super French. Oh, yeah. And she'd be like, oh, I'm going to go have a cigarette and just like (laughs) run out the door and have like a shot of espresso. Yeah. Um, She was lovely. I actually really liked working with her because she would teach me things. Uh Then when I moved to the hotline, it was just a bunch of guys yelling at me. And I like mean stuff. Oh, shit. And I think back on it and... The only compliments I ever got were something along the lines of, you cook better than most girls. I was just going to say, like, was it mainly, like, sexist shit that they were saying to you? Or was it, like, 
There, there is yeah. one of the chefs called me the a gremlin because what? the reason he called me a gremlin was because if I couldn't pick something up, I would try anyway. So <laughs> let, let, <laughs> let's say it was like a case of something. He's like, you just don't give up. You look like you're all like weak trying to pick up that heavy thing. Let's say it's a 50 pound bag of flour, which yeah. I can confidently pick up. Yeah. But uh-huh. I don't know, maybe he would make it look a little more easy, you yeah. know? Um, and I, you know, I'd be like trying to pour this 50 pound bag of flour and I'd be like all hunched over the bag, <laughs> shaking. Yeah. And he decided that he was going to call me the gremlin. Yeah. Did that name stick? Just with him. Oh, shit. He, I also had a boyfriend at the time working at the same place, and he called him Hammerhead. Like the shark. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the chef had names for everybody. He was kind of an asshole, obviously. Was, he, was, this, was this the guy on Cookie Channel? No. Oh, he, but he was out of there. No, he was much meaner to me. Oh, shit. Ugh. Let's talk about Michael Chiarello. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) He, um, Italian man, obviously, owns an Italian restaurant. He, because I was the only woman there, the only time he was nice to me was because I was a woman. I remember I came in to work one day, and it was the type of restaurant you put your chef coat on. You were working. You were at your station, towels already folded, ready to go. Uh Um, I was working the dinner line. It was a lunch and dinner restaurant. They probably did about a thousand covers a night, Uh a day, excuse me, between lunch and dinner, a thousand for lunch and dinner. That's 400 for lunch, 500 for dinner. It was a huge dining room. There was like 13 people on the line, not a hotel. It was just Yonville. Yeah. Oh my God. Crazy. Huh? That's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a huge restaurant. The walk-ins alone were giant. Um, but I worked the night, the dinner service, and the lunch person, I think they got there around 9, and they would leave around 4. Uh-huh. And I would get there at 3.30, 4, and leave around 2. Probably, yeah, maybe one. Yeah. California really tries to keep you around the eight-hour mark Mm -hmm. because you make overtime after eight hours. Oh, per day. Per day. Okay. Um, So they do try their best to only make you work eight hours so that they don't have to pay you overtime. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, like Texas, you get overtime once you hit 40 as well. 40. So Did they ever that, like do some sneaky shit like make you clock out and then still work or anything like that? Um, if you went in early, you weren't allowed to clock in early. Like oh, if you were shifted for four and you were like, "It's Saturday. If I show up at four, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna fucked. be in big trouble." Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, if you went in early, you weren't clocking in until your assigned time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to clock out for your staff meal. Staff meal. That's just some Texas law or California law, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but Michael Chiarello, when I got there, if he was there, if I didn't greet him personally, he would come up to me and say, why are you ignoring me? Are you mad at me? 
What? Uh huh. Like flirty. Oh shit. Yeah. No. Like, Why are you ignoring me? You mad at me? You don't want to say hi to your chef? Oh god. And it always weirded me out because his yeah, daughter actually went to culinary school with me. Oh really? Yeah. She was the same age as me. Maybe she was a couple years younger. But oh, that's weird. Um, I remember him saying that to me and I was like oh no chef I was really busy I thought you were busy too I didn't want to interrupt your conversation he's like you're more important than whatever I was talking to people about <laughs> yeah he was That's very That's flirty yeah. especially if you think about it like yeah I'm your daughter's age yeah but my one of my favorite things he probably said to me I've quoted to many a person um we had this hot app. It was arancini's mm -hmm. with some sort of tomato sauce. Big spoon drag. So you have like tomato yeah. sauce. You do a big spoon drag. You play the arancini. Maybe some mayonnaise. Squid ink mayonnaise even. <laughs> um, and some silly parsley garnish. Yeah. And maybe you grate some parm on top of it. The, that was Very the Italian. extent yeah. of the dishes that we were doing, especially because I was just garmo and hot apps. So if I wasn't frying calamari or French fries, I was probably plating a salad or arancini. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember my spoon for the tomato sauce hit the plate and it made a tink yeah and then i did the drag and he was standing at the expo in front of me and he looks at me and he goes the next time i see you take my spoon and hit it to my plate that was glazed from the ashes of my wife's 50 year old zinfandale vines <laughs> what you might as well slap one of my kids in the fucking face. Jesus. Jesus. And I'm just standing there with like frozen. Yeah. And I said, yes, chef. <laughs> That's all you could say. That's all you say. It's yes, chef. Yeah. It was That's oh, so specific. And you remember every single word. Oh, yeah. That's that's wild. Well, I at this particular restaurant it didn't matter who the chef was that was scolding me for something uh -huh. you never were told that you couldn't do things by your peers because everyone was so scared of the yeah. chefs that all the peers just like let's say you were a new person your peers just the other line cooks would just put their head down and like hope you didn't get them in trouble so yeah. li Everything literally station yeah. partners Damn. would let you do something they knew you could get yelled at. <laughs> That's up. Yeah. Like someone very easily could have told me, Hey, chef has a weird thing about tapping spoons on the plate or, uh -huh. um, Hey, just so you know, chef really likes it plated this way. Yeah. You never got scolded or you never got told nicely how to do something. Like yeah. when someone starts working for a place, you're, from me as a chef now, your expectations of them are shouldn't exceed what they've already proven to you. So if I hire someone 
I can't have an expectation for them that they haven't already shown that they can do. As simple as roasting a vegetable. Yeah. I can't say, okay, roast this vegetable and expect that they're going to do it either the way I want or the way that is most effective. Are they going to just throw a couple beets in the oven without salt or oil or foil or anything? I can't expect that if they haven't already proven that they can do that. So the fact that I was constantly getting yelled at for things that people could have told me nicely really taught me how not to manage yeah yeah i think the i think that's the only reason those places are those that's the only thing those those places are good for is showing you how not to treat other people and um yeah it's a shame did that that didn't break you at all it was just for your externship right yeah it was so i ended up they talked me into starting early so i staged about a month before I had to, I was still in school. Mm-hmm. And I stayed a month longer. Just Stockholm Syndrome. I couldn't yeah. say goodbye. Yeah, um, so I probably worked there under six months. But it, the things they said to me, it was wild. I there's, there's more than that? Oh, there's so much more. Jesus. There's so much more. I remember... Uh, we had like a side of French fries that we would do, mm-hmm. and I really was taking into account everything that my peers have told me, like oh, more cheese, less this, more that, less quantity. And because chef was at Expo, I had to sell it to him. And I remember telling, or I remember frying the french fries and remembering that one of the chefs told me when you grate the parm on top of the french fries it was a huge stack of french fries we towered it really tall you know love tall food back then (laughs) spoon drags and tall and i stacked these fries like so intricately and i was grating the parm on top and they were truffle fries, by the way. Oh, yeah, of course Truffle they were. oil fries. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, tossed them because tossed them really heavy in truffle oil. Chef was at pass. I remember I stacked the french fries perfectly tall, and I was grating the parm in big, long strokes so that the parm would, like, kind of catch the edges of the french fries. Uh-huh. And I remember one of the other chefs telling me, Michael loves it when it looks like a Christmas tree with tinsel on it. <laughs> okay that's so I, that's the visual yeah. you need to have this is like french fries with this beautiful like tinsely looking parmesan uh-huh. i like slide it in the past don't make eye contact because he might attack yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i slide it into the past and he goes have you been making them this big all night <sighs> and i looked at him and i said I can, oh, also, if you said, I don't know, or if you didn't respond, you got yelled at. No so you huh? could never say, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just as a preface of future stories here. Yeah. Um, and I said, chef, I'll make them smaller from here on out. And he said, no, answer the question. Yeah. 
And I said, yes, chef, I've been making them that size all night. Yeah. And then he said, do you have a calculator on you? And I said, my phone's in my knife roll, chef. And he said, go get your phone. So then. Holy me, shit. Yeah. I go this and grab my phone. This is in the middle of phone. service? Yeah. I go and get my phone, and of course he wants to do this in front of all of the chefs. So he like asks all the line cooks to come down the line, uh-huh. and he goes, "Does everyone see this French fry?" And <sighs> everyone goes, "Yes," or truffle fry. We call it truffle fry, right? Yeah. And everyone goes, "Yes, chef." And they go, "This is about ten percent too large." 10%. 10%. That's it. That's I thought I was going to get yelled at for like double the size. God. He goes, it's 10% too large. And I go, okay, chef. And he goes, you have your phone out? And I go, yes. And then he made me calculate the math of exactly, if we sell exactly this many French fries every single day, how many days of the week, how many day, weeks in the month, how much percentage of gross is that lost? And... He did the math. He was like, so you making them 10% too large is costing me five grand a year. Jeez. It was a very long, drawn-out thing. And Holy everyone shit. on the line, we're talking about like grown men who were working beside me, were staring Jesus. at me getting yelled at by this man. And, oh and I remember thinking, because you you're, they think in the, their yeah. head, they're like, you're getting us in trouble. Jesus. You're getting us in trouble as well as yeah. I have 15 things on fire. Exactly. I was going to say, he stopped the whole service for this whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Often. Often. <laughs> that's so, uh, that's fucking crazy. Narcissistic. Yeah, very narcissistic. That's, Coincidentally, I got to meet a lot of celebrities at that restaurant. <laughs> Speaking that, of narcissism. <laughs> was that where I think you showed us a picture one day of you with like Cameron Diaz or, or um, uh, Cameron Drew Diaz, Barrymore or something Drew like that? Barrymore, yeah. Reese Witherspoon. That was not at that was, Bottega. That was no. at culinary school. Oh, cool. So okay, okay. Post, yeah. post my externship, um, I was known as someone who learned a lot about Italian cuisine. Isn't that <laughs> yeah. funny? Um, yeah. And so I was teaching a Italian culinary cl- course with uh, one of the head chefs, instructor chefs, me and one other girl. And we taught them how to make risotto and pizza. And that was very cool. But while I was at, Bottega um, I met David Beckham and his sons we taught them how to make pizza Okay. Um, Mila Kunis came in for her bachelorette party Okay. before she married Ashton Kutcher um, oh Carlos Santana <laughs> was a moderate <laughs> regular which was kind of fun that's funny and uh, oh I remember Amberell came in one time and Chef was there, of course, because Amberell, famous Food Network celebrity. Mm-hmm. And she came in with a five top. Chef wouldn't let them order. He wanted to curate the menu for them. 
and he sent out course after course and of course he wanted to be the final plater or taster on everything that went to her table uh-huh. and i remember on the risotto course i wasn't the risotto chef but he didn't trust the risotto chef to make sure it was finished or seasoned appropriately uh-huh. so he did the risotto all the way all the way yeah. uh, we would par cook the rice mm-hmm. so he wasn't like fully cooking it from raw but he he picked it up from that parched um rice part and amberell sent the risotto back because it was under and it was and his. all of us the server is like shaking it as oh shit as they're walking towards the dish pit and chef goes why didn't they eat it and the server goes she sent it back it was under and he goes she sent it fucking back (laughs) and all of us are like oh my god because everybody on the line he was like i don't trust anybody to do the risotto but me yeah that's such a typical like oh yeah he was like i don't trust anybody yeah and um and then he fucks it up and then he fucks it up yeah i remember that fondly (laughs) that was like fuel you know like like, in between getting yelled at yeah or being told how young and dumb you are you're like God at least at, at least, least you an idiot too at least you can't make risotto <laughs> like yeah oh yeah for sure god damn where is that guy now is he still he still owns that place oh he does okay yeah. i've never even heard of it he's doing his okay. thing yeah it's across the street from the french laundry oh is it okay it so is. he's probably living under a large shadow there he is. He actually, when I first moved to Austin, he got in trouble. He got pulled over with narcotics. <laughs> okay. Um, which I don't think he ever went to jail for, but it was kind of exciting to hear that he got in yeah. trouble for anything. And then uh-huh. maybe just because he was in the press, one of his employees stepped forward about sexual harassment during the Me Too movement. So he got Me Tooed, which also made me feel really good because one of the Uh, quotes from the article I read from the server, Chef would often grab a baguette and act like it was a phallic member of his own. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's hilarious. Or quotes of Michael Chiarello. Just came back from that five top of ladies. They were all snail trailing. Oh, my God. Hilarious to me. Damn. And he's, Love he's that guy. Still, he's still doing it. God, oh. that guy was great. Uh, he, he, <laughs> what do you mean great in like a sarcastic sense? Or in a like, sar- sarcastic yeah, 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 sense. Yeah, yeah. He, okay. he definitely, another time, I was, yeah, I was just on Garmo. He was by Pasta Expo. There's three expos on this line. It was so big. Damn. Uh, I was on cold, and he said something along the lines of, just to himself, he goes, where's my microplane? Who has my microplane? And he's turning around in circles, looking for his microplane. Uh-huh. And... Like I said before, you couldn't say, I don't know. And he yells down line, have you seen my microplane? 
and I wasn't allowed to say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or no. Yeah. And I said, I'll look for it right now, chef. And he said, you fucking took it, didn't you? What the fuck? And I said, no, chef, I didn't take it. And he said, and he walks down line, waving his fat fingers in my face. Jesus. And he goes, I know you fucking took my microplane. You fucking took it. If you fucking took it and you're lying to me, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. Where's my fucking microplane? Holy shit. And he's in my face yelling at me. And I just said, no, chef, I didn't take it. Here's my microplane. He said, this isn't mine. And I said, like, you know, I'm just like a young girl. Yeah. I'm like 20, 21. Yeah. Like, I've never had a grown man yell at me like that <laughs> yeah. or threaten to punch me in the face. Yeah. And I didn't cry, up. but I remember thinking, I can't talk anymore. You know that yeah. feeling oh, when yeah, you're, you're just like, like, I'm just going to cry. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just not going to talk anymore. And he walked back to middle station, pasta station, and he found his microplane. And he never apologized to me. Of course not. <laughs> I just remember being truly shooken. That was like one of the first times someone was in my face yelling at me like that. Yeah. And, and for a dumb fucking reason. For no reason at all. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I'm definitely better off because someone yelled at me for no reason <laughs> when I was young. I mean, yeah, it's 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 uh it's something to learn. I think a lot of people don't learn that. Yeah, that's people true. don't know how to get yelled at. That's true. I got really good at it. Yell, getting yelled, getting at. yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the woman in me now, but if I yell at someone, the empathy really starts to leech in. I'm like, they look back at you all sad. Yeah. You're like, oh no. <laughs> Sorry. The chefs before me did this. It's not your fault. <laughs> I didn't mean to yell coming at you. Through me. Yeah. Well, where did you go after that? What was what was what was the next job? Well, did, I went did that back to culinary school. Oh, it super scarred me. Okay. Um, I so I went back to culinary school because that was the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mostly did staging, and I worked through the school because uh, I could. So I worked through the school. I did those chef demos where I got to meet some pretty cool people. Um, Just celebrities mostly. Or the um, uh, Wounded Warriors Project did a lot of cooking courses Mm -hmm. through the school. And I got to meet some really cool um, former military. military. That's awesome. Um, And they all like... Let's say they, you know, were wounded warriors. Mm-hmm. None of them acted like it. <laughs> and it, it always made me really happy to see, like, these were career military people. They spent their whole life thinking, this is what I'm going to do forever. Yeah. And then they were wounded. Yeah. And they were just happy to be in that class. Yeah. Happy for the opportunity to learn how to cook. Yeah. And... I really like that because people in the military, they have extreme discipline, which makes them really good cooks, and they don't even know it. Cooking is just all discipline. The reason we do yeah. 
a lot of things in these structured French brigade kitchens Mm -hmm. is strictly out of discipline. Why do we cut our tape? Why do we fold our towels? Why do we stand up straight? Why do we not lean on tables? It's all discipline. And that discipline proves what you're willing to go through to prove that you're willing to put the best food you can on the plate. Yeah. Often people are like, well, why do I have to do this? It's not why. If you can show me you can FIFO your ingredients, if you can show me you can consolidate containers, then I know you're making decisions that when service comes, I can trust you to make the decisions on the fly that I'm not able to oversee. Yeah, yeah. So it really isn't about all those little things, but those little things compound to create quick thinking, mm-hmm. to create making the right choices. Like, how do I know you didn't slice a chicken breast and see it was kind of raw, but yeah. you have 15 more chicken breasts to plate, so you just put it on the plate anyway? Yeah. How do I know that you're not going to make that decision? is by me telling you to consolidate containers, cut your labels, all of these things. They really come, all those little details really Mm -hmm. compound and they are creating better thinkers. I ultimately, it's not that you have to be the best chef in the kitchen. It's that I want to know that you're actively thinking about everything you're doing. Yeah, that's something that most people don't do. That's true. It's very true. Because you could be hungover and do your job, but you're not going to do your job as well as if you're feeling healthy and you're cognitive. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. I have I been hungover? Have I indulged myself in the service industry dark life? I yeah. have. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, I probably didn't taste everything. Yeah. I, and for sure. I probably didn't make every decision that I should have. Yeah. I probably ignored it. But now that I'm a chef, I see how important all those little tiny all those are. little things are. Yeah, they totally are. Yeah. And most people don't learn them. Do you find that? Do you actually knowing that and and like working in the industry as long as you have, do you go to restaurants and notice that they don't follow those details because of that? Or like you see the product and you notice, oh, they don't, they don't have that same sort of discipline. I do. I, I have this annoyance against if you are a cook, you've done this at points in your life, you poke the plastic wrap because you can't find the end of it so that you can get it open. Oh yeah. You mean like, like you like. Just poke a hole into it. Oh that. Yeah. I can't stand that. Okay. So I can't stand it either. The reason being I can't stand it is because I've dined at multiple restaurants, oh. Oh, no. which I will not name, Yeah, where you're eating and you pull the tiniest piece of broken plastic yeah. Yeah. out of your Lots mouth of crap. Yeah. and you go, I know exactly why this happened. Yeah, you know, you see the sequence of events I out there. I can yeah. picture, or even worse, they poke the hole into the third pan and they just leave the broken plastic around and I oh, call yeah, it mole holing. <laughs> yeah. It's a mole hole and they don't actually ever take the plastic fully off of the yeah. container. 
it's these little things that when you go and dine other places, you see or you experience and you say to yourself, I know exactly why this happened. Yeah. And it would be a simple solution. Like, you can't be feeding people plastic. It's, yeah. That's like the it's number one up. rule of cooking. Yeah. Well, that and raw food, yeah. Raw yeah. food? Chicken. Yeah. yeah, people really hate that raw food thing. <laughs> it's yeah. the, it, I do see it. Or, you know, you go to a place and, or the, the Sharpie in the hat. Oh, God. I see yeah, that a lot. Yeah. I try to be too critical of those things. You see the Sharpie in the hat or um, me and Kevin were versed to the uh, towel in the armpit. Yep. Yeah. But the Sharpie in the hat, it's not that bad, right? It's not yeah. the worst thing in the world. But you go to places and because of service, we yeah. have this arsenal of discipline from all these chefs. I once had a chef that wouldn't yeah. let you pour out of Cambros. Wait, what? Yeah. But you had to use a ladle for everything? Yeah. You had to ladle what? everything out of the center. If you were pouring out of the Cambro, you were oh. consolidating it into another Cambro. <laughs> um, but he was he was obsessive about like that crusty bit on I mean, the edge. I'm not gonna lie, I hate that too, but you can just wipe it. Why didn't you just wipe exactly, it? Exactly, you can wipe it. But he <laughs> didn't trust his cook, so oh. he came up with a okay. solution. <laughs> he said, he was like, no one's pouring. I'm sick in of here. going into the walk-in and seeing these crusty edges. No one's pouring out of them. And yeah. looking back on it, I'm not going to make anybody do that. That's crazy. Yeah. But I understand why he decided to create this rule so that yeah. he didn't have to keep getting upset. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But, you know, we're all filled with these prior chef's rules of things. Yeah. Um, are they the right decision? Are they the wrong decision? What kind of kitchen am I going to have? Yeah, that's true. Am I going to, like Kevin and I, Kevin being the CDC of Barley Swine, between the two of us, we get to talk about what annoys us the most and what we're going to agree upon being the yeah. most important things this, to teach our cooks. Yeah. A lot of the things we, we decide, you know, maybe we shouldn't split hairs about. Maybe this is something we have to put our foot down. As us as well as Bryce, the owner, we get, the three of us get to decide whether we're making smart decisions or wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say I own my own restaurant. I'm Michael Chiarello at this point. <laughs> I am making so much money because I'm about a thousand covers a night. Yeah. I'm just hawking basic food nothing too special, charging an arm and a leg because I'm in the middle of wine country. Mm. I have the biggest ego in the world. I was on TV. I get to say whatever the fuck I want and yeah. people will work for me. That ivory tower mentality is absurd. And it is something yeah. that I try my hardest to push away from. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, but it's weird that it's it's stayed around so long. It feels well, so archaic right now. It really is. Well, but when still I there. 
left culinary school, I decided to go to San Francisco, which, speaking of Ivory Tower, there's, it's an arsenal of just Michelin restaurants that their egos only get stroked by people who review their menu and critique their menu Uh and food critics and magazines and who ate at your restaurant. Yeah. Well, there's, that's definitely like a style of, or a lane of cooks. I mean, I think it's a philosophy thing, but, um, it's, there's, I wonder if it's like sort of like a Stockholm syndrome, like you were talking about earlier, like when people just, they don't think there's any other way to do it, you know? Because I got in an argument online yeah. with people about Grant Atkins, which I never get in online arguments, but there's there was somebody who said that some, some cooks deserve to be treated like gorillas. And I was like, what? That's so bizarre. Like, that, like Chango de Lina, just like line yeah. monkeys. Yeah, it's like, well, you could just treat them nicely and maybe yeah. you'll get better quality work out of them. But there is that lane well, of Well, if you allow them to think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Guess what? They have thoughts. Yeah, yeah. It is really wild when you say, can you follow this recipe? And they go, yes. And then you go, can I taste it after? And then they walk up to you and it tastes like it should. You go, okay, I don't need it. Like, I trust you to make this. Just let me try it every once in a while. And you know what? Maybe you're skipping a step that I told you was the most important thing in the world, but it Mm. tastes good. Yeah. And that's all I really care about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't need to stare over your shoulder while you do like, it. Yeah. In San Francisco, my time working there, every line cook that I worked with had this huge resume. Everybody in San uh-huh. Francisco has worked at all of the restaurants. Well, like they do like six month stints. They at like no one keeps a job for more than a year. It's <laughs> okay. insane. Like everyone's right. like, oh yeah, I worked for this place for like six months and this yeah. place for six months, and it's like, oh wow, you worked at all these Michelin star places. What made you leave? And their response <laughs> yeah. is always like, oh, the chef's a dick. Yeah. It's like okay, the chef's a dick. So you, what you? decided to go to a different restaurant you thought the chef (laughs) wasn't gonna be a dick the grass is not greener no um or like oh yeah the chef was crazy he had this thing about not pouring out of cambrose and you're like "Eh." (laughs) (laughs) it's not that bad like every at a certain point like in a town with so many restaurants it is so easy to get a job and Get a com- I mean, you're just getting competitively paid. You're getting paid the same. Maybe you, you had beef with that chef. Uh-huh. Maybe you didn't like driving across town. Guess what? There's another job for you. That's In crazy. a town like Austin, the community is so small. small. Yeah. There's really no point in going somewhere else because it's not like it's a cult. But if you don't drink their Kool-Aid, you're not going to fit in. And whereas I just always felt like when I left San Francisco, I left because I didn't think there was anything special about any of the restaurants that I stuck my head in. I was like, yeah, it's another restaurant and it's busy one. I mean, that is something that is nice. They're busy restaurants. They're all pretty much have the same menu, unfortunately, because they all buy from the same purveyors. Um, And, at a certain point, San Francisco is very much feeding a lot of tourists. Mm-hmm. So they want a 
chicken dish, a fish dish, a steak dish. Um, maybe you'll see pork on something. A lot yeah. of seafood. It's a lot of recycled recipes because huh. all these chefs have worked at all the other oh, restaurants. Oh, I see. Like everybody's influenced by everybody yeah. else. Yeah, so the I, I really loved my time there, but I was just too young and I didn't have any money. And It's a hard place to work without money, yeah. It's insanely expensive. It was, it was not the safest environment for me. I fell asleep on the bus too many times. Oh shit! Yeah, that is a, it is a, uh, it's a rough environment. It's rougher now, but yeah, it was definitely rough back then. Or, when was it? Twenty fourteen okay, through yeah. twenty sixteen. Yeah, because okay. I started working at Barley twenty sixteen. That oh, in nice. November. What places did you work in in San Fran? Like, did you, you said it was only like four years, you said? Three or four years? Yeah, I think I lived there three years. Did you go there with uh, like an idea or did your family live there or like was I, there a place you wanted to work I actually for? wanted to, my family was living in LA County still. So I had a stage set up when I graduated culinary school at... Oh, man. Why can't I remember the name? Uh, Central Kitchen, Kitchen, which was a Thomas McNaughton restaurant. I think that was his name. He also did Flour and Water. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know Flour and Water. So he had two concepts at the time. It was Flour and Water and Central Kitchen. Okay. And I had a stage set up there. And that's in the Mission. And I staged, and I remember the sous chef telling me, he said, we would totally hire you. We will hire you. (laughs) But he, I think he was on his way out, and he was like, you should keep staging around. Like, I, he was like, you just got out of culinary school. Like, I don't think he was telling me, like, don't work here, but Mm -hmm. I think he kind of was like, you need to keep staging around. And huh. I was like, well, I wasn't actually planning on moving to San Francisco. I was planning on moving back to LA. And he was like, don't move to LA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he was like, don't move to LA. Keep staging around San Francisco. And my, one of my high school best friends, she lived in San Francisco. She was a barista and she was going to Australia for a month, and so she wanted me oh, to nice. sublease her apartment. Okay, which was not an apartment; it was the living room. <laughs> of, it was the couch. It was yeah, it was the couch. <laughs> yeah. um, I've heard that story many times. Yeah, and so I sublet her quote unquote apartment, and then I decided to stage at a couple other places. But I ended up working at Outerlands, mm-hmm. which I'm not entirely sure why or how I decided to stage there. Maybe it was recommended to me, but I staged and it was like magic. So Outerlands is in the Ocean Beach region of San Francisco. So it's not in the peninsula. It's not Uh on the bay. It's the ocean side. So literally just like ocean crashing on like two blocks away. It was just like this beautiful like dark gray beach yeah, and I, this been, really there, yeah, cute nice. famously brunch spot uh-huh. um, but they did 
lunch and dinner service and they had just expanded from a small narrow galley restaurant they bought the space next door and they doubled their space okay and they were reopening and they were looking for dinner cooks at the time breakfast and lunch was very casual and dinner was supposed to be the complete opposite it was supposed to be very like dim light like there's an opportunity for us to maybe get a michelin star oh but we need to be open yeah we need to be open for a little bit of time really dedicate ourselves to this menu was there a chef for the dinner menu uh yes so there (laughs) was a lot of chefs while i worked there so i only worked there for maybe three years and there was like four chefs five chefs not because uh, i think the owner the owner just didn't he was not much of a I wouldn't call him a pacifist, but if someone was really excited about something, he would let them do it. So he'd hire these chefs who really wanted to do something like very like hot cuisine. He'd be like, Uh yeah. But at the end of the day, he was like, this is my like brunch spot. (laughs) Can maybe we have like an a la carte menu? And they were like, no, we want to do tasting menu. And he'd be like, I think an a la carte menu sounds better. (laughs) Um, So we did an a la carte menu most of the time I was there, but um, I worked under this one guy, Greg Kuzia Carmel. What a name. What a name. A lot of people know that name, unfortunately. A lot of people I know from San Francisco, <laughs> they're mean? like, oh, Outerlands, did he work under Greg Kuzia Carmel? And oh, I go, shit. What did he yeah, do? Yeah, like the eight months he worked there. <laughs> <laughs> What's he famous for? Uh, he has a restaurant in Milano Park called Camper. He, okay. He's also worked for Quince and Catonia as okay. uh PDR chefs. I worked under this sous chef that I really respected. Um, his name was Bayani Inclano, and he worked at Cezanne for many oh, years. Nice. So, what was cool about working at Outerlands, which I should mention, Outerlands was spotlighted in the first Tartine book. Oh, cool. So in the middle section of the first Tartine book, bread book, um, it kind of talks about adaptations of Chad Robertson's first, like, country bread style method. Uh And all of either friends of his or friends of his wife's who adapted the recipe. So... Outerlands is famous for this guy, Dave. He's the owner. He... Brunch guy? Yeah. He overnighted the Chad's country bread into loaf pans. Okay. Because he had this brunch spot, and he was obsessed with doing eggs in jail or toad in the hole. Yeah, Yeah, so you take the middle out and you put egg. egg So he wanted to make these sandwich loaves, but he also wanted to do natural leaven. Uh Um, And I guess he surfed with Chad. Okay. Yeah, so they were like surfer buddies. Uh And Chad taught him how to make bread, and he mastered it. And so they 
were so we were somehow affiliated with the tartan tartine bread name uh-huh. so we we're pretty famous just off our bread so whatever food we were hawking wasn't that important because it's all about who you know in san francisco oh really it's okay. very who like yeah with? who okay. you're affiliated with huh. so we were affiliated somehow with chad robinson because he taught dave how to make bread that's so a hot commodity in dave Fran, was a really sure. good owner he was a really nice guy nice. he recently sold um he and his wife recently sold to a friend of theirs. Sold to Outerlands? Yeah. Nice. Um, but the concept will continue on. That was part of like their agreement that it oh, wanted cool. to okay. stay open. That's nice. Um, and so I worked PM for multiple chefs. Um, but working under so many chefs and an owner was a dynamic I hadn't experienced before because of Michael Chiarello being the chef owner. Yeah. There's something really interesting about an owner saying, I want this. And the chef going, I don't want to. (laughs) And so I, as a line cook, constantly watched the chef and the owner, multiple chefs, Uh have that dynamic of, you hired me to make a menu. You didn't say you were going to be a part of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. all that kind of trash talk. They just wanted a space to their food and they didn't realize they were going to have yeah. somebody yeah. giving them money to do it. Yeah. It's like, I'm yeah. running your kitchen. Dave's like, there's a million of you. <laughs> I can replace you. In I can instant. replace you with the person standing behind <laughs> you even. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was times where the sous chef became the next chef. Oh um, shit. Yeah. Which is even better because all the systems yeah. are in place. They, they already, already know what's going yeah. on. There's not like an ego check bringing someone new in. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided, yeah, I, so I worked, yeah, I worked under like five chefs at that place. But what I loved was it was like, I quit my job five times and had five <laughs> new chefs. So yeah. in a way, five restaurants in exactly, one. Yeah. yeah. In a way, I just had to adapt. I was, mm. I really liked working for this guy. I really liked living in the sunset because I didn't have to feel like I lived in the city where there's just homeless people all around you peeing on everything. Yeah. I lived by the beach. Really nice beach. Yeah. I'm a runner, so I got to run on the PCH every day. Yeah. It was really wonderful. Um, and... The reason I left was because my lease was coming up Uh and I lived in a house with a couple other people and they were planning on moving. So I was going to need to find a new place, which would have been fine, but they were hiring another chef because... Oh, and you're like, oh, again. The current chef wanted to leave and do Filipino cuisine because he was Filipino Mm -hmm. and... That was respectable. He was the one chef that bowed out of that place just with full confidence. I want to do like my mom's oh, Filipino food. It wasn't just like an explosion no. or some shit. He was just, <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, I'm out. He said, yeah. I loved working for you, but I have worked in Michelin level restaurants in San Francisco for 15 years. I want to have a Filipino like I just want to cook my mom's food. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And he did for a little bit. Um, Mm. 
I don't think he's cooking anymore. Oh, damn. Some, sometimes you just have to retire from it. It's a really vicious circle. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you never considered, uh, or that job was never offered to you, and you, or you never considered it? I was too fiery. I was what too do you mean? young. I, I was just, I was a party animal. I oh, okay. didn't, were, didn't scream responsibility. <laughs> Let me say okay. that. Okay. I was, yeah. I had the job because of the nightlife. Oh, I see. You know, okay. yeah. I was best friends with the bartender. That, okay. Um, right. the, or we all went to a corner bar after work. And yeah. I was, you know, best friends with the bartender because yeah. he would make sure that I didn't fall asleep at the bar. And I yeah. lived close enough to the bar that he would be like, do you need me to walk you to your house? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, uh, maybe. Um, and I was just too young, too fiery, yeah. too much attitude. The yeah. owner really liked me, but uh -huh. I don't think he was about to entrust his, <laughs> his, whole restaurant, his restaurant to me. Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna like I guess that answers my next question, which was gonna be like, why didn't you want to work at like the big Michelin places there, you know, like Bennu or State Bird or even Tartine? I guess yeah. Honestly, my peers deterred me from it the most, not because well, they had worked there before, and yeah, they were like kind and, of and um a good amount of kids I went to school with immediately uh -huh. went to those restaurants. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'd hang out with them and be like, we'd go to dinner or a bar and yeah. catch up. I was like, how is your job? You know, after school, you're, yeah. you're like, is yours better than mine? Tell <laughs> yeah. me all about it. Yeah. Um, and I had friends at uh, Qua and Bennu, Cezanne, and I would ask them, do you like it? Oftentimes they would say, I pick herbs all day. Uh -huh. um, I pick herbs all day. I, I cut radishes into circles with cookie cutters or, you know, they like make these shingled things. Yeah. Um, and they would ask me what I was doing. And I was like, oh, I'm like butchering whole fish. Oh, I'm, shit. Yeah braising rabbit, picking it, extruding pasta. Yeah. I I had a lot of responsibilities. I'm mm -hmm. culturing butter. I'm fermenting things. Mm -hmm. I saw what they were doing and yeah. being only a year out of culinary school, what I had the opportunity to do, I didn't want it. I was yeah. like, why would I trade? Yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm working like... I'm, I have like dishes on a menu at a place. Not yeah. that, not that I felt like they weren't being creative, but I felt what I was doing was right for me. And yeah. I always wanted not to be in a specific restaurant. I didn't want to work for a specific chef. Uh -huh. I wanted to work in a group of culinarians that wanted okay. the food to be great. Huh. And I felt like everyone I was working with, even though turnover is like a year, I felt like I was entrusted with a lot. It's like, uh -huh. let me teach you this once, and then you're going to do it from here That's on awesome. out. That's awesome. Yeah. I really liked that mentality of yeah. cooking. And then if you do it really good, guess what? I'm going to have you do the produce order tomorrow. 
or we would go to the farmer's markets together, and I really thought that was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Not that being the Garmo cook at Saison means you can't go to the market with your chef. I'm sure they yeah. let you, but if I didn't go, we didn't have tomatoes for the day, yeah, and so it felt a, really important. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more important than just yeah. hanging out with the chef while he's buying exactly. produce. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. felt really cool about it. Um and it's awesome. And also I was making decisions at a very young that's, age. That's awesome. And also doing all the young age, like industry badness. Yeah. The dark Partying side. And shit. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah I want to go to your worlds. house and throw darts for no reason. <laughs> I work in two hours. Let's yeah. do it. Fuck it. I don't, I don't need to sleep. Mm-mm. Fuck that. So I, I enjoyed my time immensely in San Francisco. And like I said, I was just sick of the whole recycling of chef thing. And living in San Francisco was really exhausting for me. And so the concept of every time I found like a new roommate situation, we all rented a house. Yeah. It was like after a year, everyone's like, okay, we're all going different directions. It's like, really? <laughs> I have to do this again? God and the damn. house hunt yeah. is so hard. It's so competitive. Yeah. That yeah. I was just sick of it. I was like, I can't keep doing this. This is exhausting. Yeah. Um, My brother said that he he lived there in uh, 2000, I want to say like 18, 19, maybe 17 or something like that. But he said he would go to try and find an apartment. And he'd be the first one there and everything. Mm-hmm. like. And some dude would already be up there in a suit. Like mm-hmm. already paying more than he was willing to pay like with the deposit with the de- everything yeah. already ready to go like it was so competitive yeah and like yeah un- unbelievably competitive it's, which is insane well and it's that also was a college same, town same people don't problem. really think about that that's true yeah there's a lot of college he was going there going to college oh, okay yeah. Yeah. yeah lots of people forget it there's two <laughs> yeah. colleges at, yeah. just in the city yeah. alone yeah. which is san francisco itself the peninsula it's seven miles by seven miles so square small. and then you take and consider like oakland that's yeah. substantially larger and they have their own colleges <laughs> yeah. it's so many people shoved in there and then you so got silicon valley all that shit shoved in there yeah it's a mess so i guess uh, why i was gonna say why did you choose austin but mainly really why well, I was going to say, why did you leave San Francisco? But mainly, why did you choose Austin? I chose Austin because uh, one of my very good friends from culinary school, his name is Fernando, was Fernando. working at Paul Key's Restaurant. Ooh, okay, now we're on a subject I know a lot about. Oh, I know a lot about Paul Key. He was working at Paul Key's Restaurant. Was he working at... Uh, uh, with Key? Yoshi. Oh shit! Yeah, Yoshi. Yoshi was their oh, yeah. fish butcher. Yep, I I saw her a couple times, and Yoshi was untouchable. He had a whole side of a restaurant to himself. Yeah, they were just like leaving him alone. That's what he would tell me. He yeah, like, he just comes in. Yeah, comes screams in, a bunch. Butchers fish. P- butchers puts on fish. puts on punk metal punk. And literally, there was one side of the restaurant for all the other cooks, and then the other one for the people from LA Madison Park, Paul and Yoshi. That's and it was fun. literally just like keep them apart. <laughs> Wait, so what was his name again? His name was Fernando okay. Arias. I don't know what, maybe his girlfriend. I don't know what made him move to Austin. His girlfriend was in a pastry class that graduated around the same time as us. Okay. I'm not sure what brought them to Austin. They now live in Napa. He's 
chefing it a vineyard doing something okay um but he uh he told me i i just hit him up my parents had recently moved to houston and i said what's austin about and he goes it's super easy to live here there's parking lots like you know as someone who (laughs) lives in a city he's like there's parking lots like you can have a car you can you know you're in a city so you have everything you need and he's like the nightlife is really good the food scene's pretty small barbecue's great he's like but if you if you move to austin you need to work for bryce gilmore at barley swine he said that to you he said that Working to at me. working at key. working at key under Paul. I said, "What's like, barley swine?" He said, "It's Bryce wild. Gilmore's Bryce Gilmore's restaurant, huh. and you need to work there." Wow! And so I came and I staged at Fix first. So I applied to a bunch of places. And now, now, did you do any research? Or did you just blindly like send? Because I, I like oh. opened a couple Eater articles. I knew okay. nothing about. I was going to say like, yeah, I, I'm interested to see who you applied to. Knowing I applied how, to Fix. I applied wow, to Wine Belly. They never responded yikes. to me. Yeah. I applied. I think I applied to Lenoir. They never okay. applied or responded at all. Huh. I think maybe. Commodore, they didn't respond. I had like a Commodore's pretty stacked resume. No yeah. one responded to me except for Fix, uh-huh. and I ended up staging. They charge their cooks an insane amount of money. What do you, or they, sorry, they pay, they them? pay them an insane amount oh, of money. Oh, because it's downtown, right? It's downtown, but they were like, okay, I staged the whole day. Basically, all you do is make polenta, and <laughs> I was like, I worked in an Italian place, I could do this. Yeah. And Excuse me. They call it grits here. <laughs> um, I made grits on my stage. And did Bryce correct you when you said polenta one time? Is that is that where that's coming from? No, just in my head. They were like, "Okay, you need to make the grits." grits. Like, and I was like, oh, "Fuck, I've never made grits." And then as they're the, they're giving me the recipe, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is polenta. I do this all. The, I did this for six months yeah. at a restaurant." Yeah. Um, and. I did a couple other things. I think I grilled some food. All of the line cooks were really nice, but they wanted to hire me on at like 16 or 18 an hour, uh-huh. which in 2016, I don't know. It was pretty good back that then. That was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and then Bryce was going to hire me on. He, All of his cooks, I staged... All of his cooks were salaried, but because he was moving to the new location, he was looking to hire hourly cooks. Yeah. So I staged. Bryce wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And the two, uh, they were called executive sous chefs at the time, but they were basically the head chefs. Who was it? It was Charles and Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. They were in charge. And... Charles was, he basically said, I know Bryce isn't here, but we're, we want to hire you. Uh-huh. And Bradley was also like, yeah, cool. You could work for us. <laughs> but then when I met with Bryce, yeah, he was like, I'm not looking to hire any more salaried cooks. I'm looking for hourly cooks. And I was like, that's fine. I always been 
hourly until now. And mm-hmm. he goes, it was like 10 an hour. And yeah, I was like, well, I just <laughs> dodged literally yeah. at a place that was going to give me like literally $6 more an hour or $8 more an hour. Yeah. And he goes, how about 11? <laughs> oh, shit. And he's like, well, I'll guarantee you X amount of hours. And I was like, yeah. so were they. Yeah. And he goes, and I can't hire you until we open the new space. And Would I'm you? like looking at this guy <laughs> after his chefs basically promised me like the golden ticket to like the dream job. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at this guy never met before. I didn't really even know who he was. Yeah. Except for a couple Google searches. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so this is not the dream job after staging. I thought it was. Yeah. Because it was a really cool, small restaurant. I didn't even know they were opening a new location. Uh-huh. I lived right next to it. Mm-hmm. And this guy's looking at me telling me he's not even going to hire me for three months. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, A, I don't, I thought I was going to be making more money. Yeah. B, I thought I was going to get hired. I just moved across the, I looked at him and I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I know you don't know how I cook, but I just moved across the country and I cannot not work for three months. Yeah. That's as nice as I can put it for your $10 an hour. Thanks. (laughs) Um, I was like, I, I cannot not work and he goes all right i'll give you 11 (laughs) and i can hire you three days a week okay he's really until we open the new place (laughs) he's trying to get because i imagine the the chef's like spoke pretty highly of me yeah wait so he was not there for your stage he was not there for my stage honestly he wasn't there until we opened the new space really because he was at odd duck it was the the first year that odd duck was open oh shit okay yeah and he was like i can hire you for half of the week Uh uh-huh I think I think they were open five days a week at the time. Oh, at Barley? Yeah. Yeah, I think at so. At the yeah. south location yeah, on yeah. Lamar. Yeah. The little and shotgun kitchen. So unfortunately, I I said yes. By unfortunately, I mean I've been there for <laughs> ever now. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I I swallowed the pill. But why did you say yes? Because I mean that's not a. It very was a enticing. really special kitchen. It was, it, wasn't it? It was like eight people one of which i knew the pastry associate her name is audrey we actually went to culinary school together i walked in the back door for my stage that's gotta be a good sign and they walk me through the kitchen give me the tour and immediately the pastry associate turns and looks at me and she goes I know you. And I go, I know you. And I was like, I don't remember your name. She's like, I don't remember yours. Yeah. You, we went to the same school. It wasn't nice. a huge school. It was small enough. Uh-huh. But Were you the same class though? She was pastry and I oh, was so culinary. Separate. Separate. So technically oh, okay. we were separate and she was a whole year ahead of me. Okay. Um, but I remember having a great conversation with her, catching up, What had my stage and... <laughs> From there on out, it was um, 
I know you're friends with Audrey. <laughs> Anytime Somebody anyone wanted to, to like maybe say something salacious about Audrey. Like, oh, they'd be like, you know, like, <laughs> I know you're best friends with Audrey. I was like, we went to school together. <laughs> and I was like, we're not best friends. But yes, yeah, she's perfectly lovely. Yeah. And, and they'd be like, she's just so annoying. And I'd be like, thank you for softballing that to me. Yeah. Like, I'd be wildly insulted that you said something about someone that I've met 10 times more than you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... It was a really tight kitchen. Everyone was best friends. The, I mean, what was so romantic about it was that they could not physically do more than like 40 covers a night. Maybe, maybe like 60 on a holiday. Like, let's say it's New Year's. They're like, we're going to do 60 covers. Yeah. There was, there were times, I I mean, I ate there a few times and uh, also stodged there a few times. And I remember there were some times when Bryce, he had the pass, like literally right there on the counter where people were eating and like sometimes Bryce if you were sitting at that closest yeah. thing he would like review a plate look it over and then he just hand it to you yeah because like, it was that small uh yeah that and place they, is pa- and you're out you literally sit at a table like this yeah like with your arms uh, it was like touching bar seating only yeah it was it was wild yeah it was it was a wild little spot I, I just as soon as I walked in I thought it was special um we prepped do you have to prep in the dining we prepped room? Prepped in the dining room. Yeah, yeah. So I had to do that it, too. That's great. There weren't lower tables. It was all <laughs> bar height tables. Yeah. So for me, I'm five ten. I still had a bent elbow trying to, you know, with a cutting board. Yeah. And there was this girl, Elise. She was about five foot, and she would stand on a milk crate and uh-huh. stand on a milk crate for, you know, what it's like five hours of prep time. Yeah. We all got it's there crazy. at like 11, 11.30. Service starts at 5. Yeah. Literally just standing on a milk crate. Talk about devotion. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it was just a really special kitchen after no one else in the city responding to me and me needing a job. And Fix was offering me a nice job. But... I like had flashbacks of Bottega and I was like, I don't want this job. Oh shit. Yeah. I don't want to come into work and first thing I do is make polenta. Yeah. And then I was talking to the grill cook and he's like grilling quail. Nothing like that volatile of temperature range. Right. Mm. He's grilling quail. And I go, how, how long did it take for you to get to this position? He's like, oh, I've been here like two years. But I came from, he was like an Uchi or Uchiko alum. Oh, and course, he's yeah. like, so like, I didn't have to work Garmo. They started being like hot apps. I've been here for like two years. It was like, took you that Sick. long? Because, you know, there's this <laughs> brigade system. They always, yeah. when you start at a restaurant, make you start on cold. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, how long Until, is it going to take yeah. for me to be important at this restaurant? And he was like, yeah. a long time. I have to die. <laughs> he's like, I'm staying here forever and yeah. I have to die to get this He's position. like, you yeah. have no idea how much they pay me to stay here. <laughs> he's like i know what they're gonna offer you i make double that probably oh shit know. yeah um that restaurant still exists i drive oh, yeah. by it every once in a while yeah. no one and uh, no one goes i've never heard anybody go to it right? but i mean it's got to be like probably the or something. same exact menu maybe. yeah yeah maybe i remember i yeah. had to interview 
What? Yeah. Before you even got a stage? Yeah. That's strange. It baffled me. I like. <laughs> Did you come in ready to like cook? They, and they were yeah, like, no, well, we're going to talk. Well, they reached out to me and they said, when can you come in to talk? And I said, to talk. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> Why should you care what my voice says? <laughs> I've been told yeah. my whole career my voice doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> literally. Yeah. And I was like, am I going to be working? What should I wear? They were like, just, you're just going to come in and talk. And I go, okay. And we came and I like cycles. had like getting? a legit yeah. interview. I just sat there and they yeah. asked me about how my management style was or like how I work with coworkers. Yeah. What kind of cycles were they getting that they needed Seriously. to like talk to cooks before they... And then they were like, okay, can you come in tomorrow to stage? I was like, okay, come on. (laughs) You're going to make me interview and stage? (laughs) I thought I was an either or. (laughs) Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, But That's crazy. Now I want to look up what that that menu is, what that that place is like still. Mm -hmm. You probably would have gone through another six six more chefs if you had gone to that place. Truly. Yeah. I think the guy who offered me... my starting salary he was the he was just the sous chef i say just the sous but he was probably very important there he went to olamay after and then okay i haven't seen him in the city since Uh oh um but i wonder if that guy the head the exact chef his name was james james what i don't know he was like you know, shaved head, tattoos, muscular, beard. It's probably the same guy, honestly. <laughs> you think he's, he's still Could there? Be. Could be. That'd be wild. But yeah. I remember meeting him, and I was like, uh-huh. oh, you you look exactly like if I closed my eyes and said the word chef. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, you know, like angry, like vein popping out of his forehead, yeah, sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. But also somehow you're like, am I attracted to you? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, now I got to look him up. Mm-hmm. But um, you got to tell me about your stage. Like, what was the stage at Barley like? Did oh. where was Kevin? Like, who was Kevin? Because, was because, there? <laughs> of course he was there. Yeah, he was there. Like, uh, who was the? Oh, you said at least. Oh, you said um, your friend was the or your your. Your best friend, sorry, was the pastry chef. Um, yes, yeah, so Audrey <laughs> yeah. was the pastry chef. She was the only one besides Kevin who was getting cut early. So I guess there was a okay. prep cook. Okay. There was Kevin, the butcher, uh-huh. and there was Aud- Audrey who came in and did pastry. Uh-huh. So I was dodging on cold. I was dodging. Right? Yeah, the little corner. Yeah. So I was staging on cold with Elise, and um, Elise was much more than the cold cook. She did pastry prep when Audrey was off. She filled in many a gap. She later became our prep manager at Barley Swine on Burnett Road. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very valuable in the team. She... Um, she gave me a very clear tour. She sat me up at one of the tables. What was your me, thought there? Like, cause you came from, you know, I very was, nice kitchens and you're like, I got to prep at this fucking table. I felt very cool. 
I was like, <laughs> okay. I yeah. made it. I'm in one of those kitchens nice. that yeah, like yeah. does. It's so small. Yeah. That like there's not even kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> like we're gonna yeah. serve so it's, few amount of because yeah. you know like we're cool. Yeah. I I worked. Outerlands was a pretty small cover yeah. restaurant, and uh-huh. in my head, going into Barley Swine, I was like, oh, they probably don't do more than like. 25 people a night <laughs> <laughs> and it's true yeah um and i it was my first tasting menu restaurant ever. Oh, okay yeah so i was obviously they, really excited about they were doing tasting menus out of there i thought they only did tasting really? and they did swine time oh that's right okay so yeah, swine yeah, yeah. time was yeah. the first hour they were open their bar seating was all happy hour bites yeah so they had like a parfait which was like beets and like a goat chev and it was like layered in a bar glass Uh they had fried chicken on the menu with pickles they had i don't know maybe like a pork chop like thing they had food that you could a la carte but it was tasting menu only the rest of the the time the rest of the dining room and the rest of the time and i'm pretty sure swine time was walking only yeah it was yeah yeah so like people would like line up at 4 30 just to get six bar seats yeah there's six seats (laughs) yeah and there i guess there was the golden goose i was gonna say there was nowhere to walk to if you had to wait an hour but i guess golden goose if you wanted to go to a bar yeah golden goose it used to be a horseshoe lounge and then there was a place next door that was like called the Henri's that was like a charcuterie a place. Cheese, cheese cheese charcuterie. That didn't last very long. It, yeah. it, it also burned down. That's right. It did. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. But I think it had been closed already. Oh, did it burn down while it was closed? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. I think that's I why it that. burned down. It was like an electrical <laughs> fire. Oh shit. Um, but yes. So my stage, Elise introduces me to most of the people i go in and uh bradley one of the co-executive sous chefs he is making bread he's doing a couple turns maybe he's booling out these like tiny looking loaves and i thought to Uh myself that's cool they make their own bread i'm familiar i just came from outerlands i'm not intimidated by that i could do that yeah but no one else was allowed to do the bread. It was Bradley's thing. <laughs> um, and then after doing the bread, he went straight into um, pasta. So okay. at Barley Swine, we have these like Carmele inspired pasta shapes. Uh-huh. And we actually call them shiitake dumplings. The filling is a fermented shiitake butter emulsified soup i guess you could describe it as um so it's set with gelatin as we cook the pasta the filling liquefies it's plated on top of a bed of perfectly sous vide picked up to order soft scrambled eggs a mushroom butter sauce coats the pastas garnished with whatever seasonal vegetable we have and that's he, Bradley's dish, right? It's not quite Bradley's. It's okay. actually Bryce's. Really? When I first started, it was a bone marrow. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a bone marrow mushroom. 
That's amazing. Uh, they took the bone marrow out Why? because of People. reasons. Yeah. Um, probably so that it could be vegetarian. Veg- yeah. And Bradley was unwrapping pasta with set filling inside of it uh-huh. and throwing away the pasta dough. And this is just my observation because I'm prepping with Elise yeah. and she's talking to me about what I need to be doing. And I'm just watching him individually unwrapping all these pastas, taking the filling, melting the filling. Oh, no. Resetting the filling with gelatin into trays and cutting it. And uh-huh. I'm thinking to myself, wow, this kitchen's hardcore. <laughs> they don't even reuse their pasta from the day before. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Um, uh, still to this crazy, day, I think yeah. that's absolutely baffling that yeah. someone would take their own time and throw it in the trash. Like, regardless of the fact that maybe the pasta oxidized because at the time we weren't freezing it it was just refrigerated overnight so he really somebody didn't just fuck it up he really was every single day he unwrapped the pasta from the day before that took the filling out crazy wow because to him yeah he couldn't just throw away the pasta because the filling was too valuable yeah it took too long (laughs) to make so he'd save the filling resheet pasta that he made that day wow yeah yeah that's wild He's a wild man. So I'm watching him make bread and literally make like a small quantity of pasta. Let's say he made 50 pieces. Yeah. He's making like 50 pieces of these like twisted caramelle pastas, which he also used to only sheet a certain amount of pasta dough. Uh Uh-huh. We don't need to talk about how crazy he is. <laughs> Moving on from him. So he's doing that, and I'm observing the other chef, Charles. Charles. He's fucking running around. He is like yeah. an ADD baby, just screaming at the top of his lungs, like yeah. either singing the song that's playing or like calling for someone who's not even in the room, like, Kevin, Kevin, like running around. I was going to say, this, is, this sounds like Kevin. I mean, in a way. <laughs> um, he's just like crazy off the wall. Like one minute you're prepping something, and the next minute he's standing over your shoulder and you had no idea <laughs> and he's staring at what you're doing and yeah. you're like, am I doing it wrong? He's like, no. And then he walks away and comes back. Yes, you are. And you're like, <laughs> okay, what do you want me to do? Very energetic, but very passionate, very yeah. educated, knew a lot. Kevin. Let's talk about Kevin. Oh, yeah, let's... Kevin. Good old Kevin. Kevin was the butcher. Which is mind-blowing to me. Because you guys were doing whole... Whole like, goats. Whole animals yeah. at that point. Whole yeah. animals. Mostly butchering ducks and lamb and goat. Okay. Uh, pork. Mm-hmm. I think pig head... Mostly, I don't know if they were doing whole pork yet, possibly. Um, But Kevin, he he was like, his station was in the dish pit. There was a small metal table back there that he would use. And he basically was at the whim of every person around him because he was constantly like, hey, I need someone to move 
these two goats to my cutting board <laughs> and someone would just pick up the goats and move them to his cutting board it was yeah. very very funny yeah and i remember he he like left at one point and he goes all right i'm going to cvs does anyone want anything and everyone's like give me a gatorade and he goes what color and he goes <laughs> someone responds with it doesn't matter. And he goes, yes, it does. <laughs> you need to tell me or else I'm going to pick the wrong one. <laughs> and I thought to myself, this guy's just going to leave. And he hopped on his scooter and he left. And oh, he yeah, came back like an hour right. later. What? Yeah. What? And I was like, this seems pretty chill. Like, no one's <laughs> mad that he was gone. No. Yeah. And then That's he funny. just started doing his shit again. He was very chatty. Um, oh, yeah. Very chatty guy. Very curious about who I was, why <laughs> I was there, if I was going to come back. I was like, I don't know. Do you think I have the job? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, very, very Kevin. Yeah, for um, sure. But honestly, I didn't have a relationship with Kevin until he until bradley and charles left because he was the butcher so we pretty much worked very opposite schedules oh so he would work the mornings and then you'd come in and then he'd he'd leave at that point by the time people were coming Mm -hmm. in around 11 or noon he was overworking he was just like yeah Yeah. i'm still here but i'm pretty much done (laughs) like yeah even like it, let's say it was like 4.30 or something and you'd uh-huh. be like, Kevin, I really need you to help me do this. He's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. What do you need? And I'd be like, I need, uh, I need you to, uh, could you maybe like pick me a quart of cilantro? He's like, okay, I can do that. Maybe. We'll see. And who knew? He could have forgot gonna, yeah, and yeah. gone home. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, I could do that. And, and then, then you'd, be like has anyone seen kevin they're like oh yeah he's gone and you'd be like damn it thought he was gonna pick my cilantro (laughs) oh well um oh man but yeah we really didn't have a relationship until bradley and charles left just because he i wasn't i wasn't getting in trouble so i didn't need to be like hyper supervised and he was doing his butcher thing yeah and jamming out to disney music fuck still back then huh well he used to because he stood in the back he used to just play music out of his phone oh god so he's playing like aladdin oh yeah from a court container or some shit Mm -hmm. or on his phone god damn oh my god but that's about it that's my stodge they sat me down and fed me and i said yeah this is really cool do you remember a specific dish that you were like, oh, shit. Oh, you said it earlier, right? I did. Yeah. Um, the trout or the some fish dish with um, whey the, butter? It was a red snapper dish. Red snapper. That's and funny. it was sous vide for, I don't know, seven minutes in a koji butter. And the koji butter was very simple. House-made koji, fish stock... I think there was some sort of house miso and uh, a lot of butter. At the time, we were buying uh, artisan butter. It's like Lila Gold. 
uh-huh. and it would come in a huge brick. But we now just use uh, Pelugra, like a European style butter, but mm-hmm. we were buying a higher quality butter then. So yeah. higher fat, very yellow in yeah. color. Um, and it was served in a bowl with a radish condiment, I believe. I remember actually prepping this and the callus on my knife hand was substantial. It was watermelon radish that we would baton. Okay. Yeah. Salt, sugar, MSG, cure, wring it out. Then we would use lemon oil that we made in house, a infused vinegar that we would also make and a lot of herbs. Bryce is a big fan of chive, tarragon and parsley. Yeah. The fish was in the bowl with this bundle of radish, a ladle of this koji butter, and maybe a micro garnish on top of the fish. And it was served with a plate of pickles. So he had a pickled quail egg that was perfectly cooked, just running the yolk, a pickled okra that was sliced perfectly on diagonal. I believe it was also maybe blistered. Um, bread and butter, cucumber pickles, whatever seasonal veg that we had. It was multiple pile, piles, maybe like six on this plate next mm-hmm. to your bowl. And it was served with a quarter bowl per person. And Bradley was making these adorable like five hundred gram bowls and yeah. so a two top would get to split one and it was perfectly warmed you tear it in half and you really get to choose your own adventure and i remember eating it and thinking well when they both asked me what was your highlight i described that dish i said that dish was my highlight because i've never known a chef to trust a diner so much to be able to eat the food and really understand that eating a different pickle with a different bite or using the bread as a vessel for the sauce that is something that you really have to trust in your guests because there's nothing worse than just seeing a plate coming back from a table full of food and they only ate the fish and the butter and the bread. Yeah. You want to see that they try to experiment with foods. Maybe they wouldn't normally. Um, yeah. And so I remember thinking that is really creative and different. And that is what made me want to work for barley swine. Also the closing bite. It used to be called a snack pack. It was, okay. I'm sure you know the bowl, but it was the, dog bowl with the top on it yeah so on the they had them back then too huh yeah, we had wow. them back then on the top of this bowl so it, essentially it looked like a dog bowl and it had a lid the lid would have a caramel that was wrapped in rice paper and twisted and okay. the rice paper was edible okay so the server would say something along the lines of oh um you can eat the entire wrapper and everything. Yeah. And so you just pop it in your mouth and it was cool and fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There was a patefouille of whatever fruit was available at the time seasonally. 
um, just a little cube, nice little bite. And then the server would come by and lift the top of the bowl. And underneath was like a perfectly dipped, we call them bonbons. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was chocolate, either white chocolate or, um, milk chocolate. And it had some sort of pretty painting on it whatever oh, okay. the pastry yeah, like chef nice was into yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it was filled with it was always a liquid center so they would make them the puree mm -hmm. and freeze it and then dip the frozen puree and it, then yeah Kind of like what, what, paint it. Yeah. what you do at Barley's Way now. Or yeah. yeah. But I I just thought it was like a really interesting way to finish your meal because normally Czech presenters are so lame. Mm -hmm. And it was from the start of your meal to the end of your meal, there was so much thought put into it yeah. that I couldn't help but want to work there. Was, yeah. I was like, there's no, I mean, I guess I just worked at so many restaurants that it was like, okay, the main entree has to be the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's all, they all put anyone the, really yeah. cared about. Yeah, the the rest salad's the salad, the veg course is the veg course, the fish is the fish, mm -hmm. but the yeah. steak course has to be the best. This was the first place that every single thing had so much thought put into it that I inevitably had to work there. Yeah. And that standard is still really important to Bryce. He, yeah. to this day, questions, can we do something better? Not because what we're doing isn't great, but like, what, yeah. what else can we do? What, what else can we do better? Yeah. Which is really rewarding to be pushed like your whole life. It's like having a a coach constantly tell you to go and learn something uh -huh. and keep trying new things. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't know. No one's ever told me that in my life, in my career. It's really important to me, but just in my life, like people are like, yeah, just, you know, you know, strive for normality, you know? Yeah. yeah no no one ever said you need to be outstanding to me. Yeah. But, but yeah, but Bryce is, Definitely a, a guy who uh, doesn't stop. It seems like he's um, he loves he loves. Uh, I mean, shit, he just bought a farm. Dude's yeah. like he's like, oh, what can we do better? I'll make my own food for my own restaurant. It's like, dude's never gonna stop. He just he's insane. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so there's there's a back catalog of amazing dishes and uh, yeah, that that he's like that you guys are calling on. I mean, it's, it's insane how much that restaurant's done in so, such a short amount of time. And might I say like, no one really, no one really gets it. I don't think any, I don't think it's, it got the, the, the respect that it deserves. It kind of is like a little niche. Like if you know about it, you know about it and that's about it. It's kind of like a cook's restaurant. Does that make sense? Like a lot of people who really appreciate cooking and, and nice restaurants and, appreciate what Bryce does are in that sort of realm, but it doesn't really branch outside of that. I mean, Bryce got nominated, what, like 10 times for a, for multiple uh, James Beard awards and was turned out each time. And like, they don't, they don't really get well, it. Well, he's been nominated at least 10 times. I yeah. think he's been a finalist at 
Like seven. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) Like that's down to like four chefs. Yeah. And just denied every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, we've talked about it in manager meetings before, you know, is a win something that we want to strive for this year? Is there something that the restaurant could do to like make a win happen? And Bryce is always on the side of, I'm not striving for a win. I'm striving to have the best restaurant. Yeah. Every single day when I Mm -hmm. open my eyes, I'm thinking about the restaurant. I'm not thinking about a James Beard award. Yeah. And unfortunately those two things don't coincide. It's really sad to see that someone who cares so much about a restaurant and a community. And I mean, this is public knowledge. Bryce, has and will pay for many farmers just to be at the farmer's market. There's a market stand fee and there's been farmers who can't afford it that Bryce wants to see them be successful and has paid for their yearly stand fee. That's amazing. Not because, you know, he doesn't have value to his money, but because he has value to what farmers are doing for the city. Yeah. And to see them disappear really takes what he's trying to do at his restaurant and diminishes it. He's trying to highlight farmers. We're not Mm. a farm to table restaurant. We're ingredient based and respectful. It's not about bringing the farm to the table. It's about understanding the ingredients that can be grown within a hundred mile radius of you Mm -hmm. and using them. Yeah. That's about it. We're not trying to make anyone feel like organics is important or yes. Um just highlighting ingredients is important. Sometimes the pres- preservation of those ingredients are more important yeah. than anything. And For sure. we're really just trying to be centric of you know, being aware of where your food is coming from, you know, yeah. it, it's something I, I think as Austin grows, people don't really understand where our food comes from. Cause it's really hard to grow food in Texas. Yeah. And now that Austin's sure. getting larger and larger and we're so close to Mexico, it's really easy to bring food in over the border Mm -hmm. um and it's really expensive for farmers to grow food here because they either need to have serious amount of greenhouses or spend a lot of money on water or they have to plant things that don't require as much water and are really heat tolerant Mm -hmm. and then with the freezes that we've been having it really devastates entire crops um and so just understanding the re- reality of what we can grow and how small our seasons are. Mm-hmm. Like spring might get like two months out of our spring ingredients. Yeah, for sure. Summer, we're talking like nine months. <laughs> yeah. Um, winter is mostly just yeah. braising greens. There's yeah. yeah. the understanding of utilizing the ingredients that we can get is really, really hard. Um mm-hmm. I know there's entire countries that 
you know, don't see the sun, but for multiple months at a time, but we at Barley Swine really try to highlight those ingredients that are thriving during their season. So if Uh. we have sweet potatoes on the menu for five months, well, it's going to be a really good sweet potato. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's amazing is that they're for, for as limited as like the the produce has been for as, as long as it, as it has been limited. There's some amazing dishes that have come out of that kitchen from whoever's working there making the dishes. It's crazy. I mean, um, I mean, the farming has really just been has kind of exploded. I mean, this is the first few years we've had gochugaru peppers in just for one example. It's like, it's like, it's like blowing up. There's a lot of, a lot more variety um, that you guys could use. Right. Does that feel freeing? Cause well, you must've felt limited for a while. Right. What, what is cool about the name Bryce Gilmore to a lot of farmers in Austin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really moving. Like, Bryce has a lot of move with these farmers because they all really respect him Uh and how much he respects them. I mean, it's really symbiotic. Um, So at a certain point, they started saying, you seem to buy whatever we grow. How about you tell me what to grow? Oh, yeah. So Bryce started saying, shishitos. I love shishitos. Keep growing shishitos. I love banana peppers. Keep growing banana peppers. Yeah. Oh, we started fermenting your Fresnos. Yeah. They're really good, but there's this Asian varietal of a hot red pepper. Could you try growing that? And they said, yeah. That's if you awesome. want to buy our crop, we'll grow it for you. And at the end of the day, a farmer, yeah. as long as it's something that they know how to grow, they'll grow it for you. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, right now, I think at Bryce's farm, he was saying he he's really excited about trying to grow herbs that you can't really find. So uh-huh. he's really into amaranth um, because, like, the pod itself on the amaranth can be edible. Uh-huh. Um, he, he's been growing some radishes. He's really in the early stages of exploring what to grow. Yeah. Um, but I think he's going to do great. Yeah. I'm really excited about his farm. Yeah. I want to see what I can put on the plate for people. Yeah. He really thinks long term too. Like he, that, that guy does not think in terms of like one or even five years. It seemed like he's thinking ahead of everybody else. You know what I mean? I know. Sometimes yeah. he tells me like menu <laughs> ideas and I'm like, I never would have thought of that. He's, he's a wild guy. Yeah. He chicken <laughs> testicles for one. He Bryce would love to take cattle off the menu. Yeah. He's like cattle is so bad for our carbon footprint. Yeah. Uh, he's like also live fire is bad for our carbon <laughs> footprint. <laughs> But I love live fire cooking. I know, cooking. it's so good. Yeah, He's like, I lid. love cooking over wood, and I love cooking steak. It's so rib good. Ribeye. Yeah. But he's like, I don't know, maybe we should just do it different. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, who's going to show up if we don't have ribeye rib in Texas yeah. on the menu? Yeah. Um, Bryce would do great in, like, a foreign country, like, 
like Copenhagen. He would he would do great. He would ride his bicycle everywhere. Really? I don't see him as that type of person at all, really. I see him as someone who wants to be extremely oh, he does want, he aware to. Okay. of every footprint he leaves on this planet. That's interesting. Okay. He's really extremely like aware of his footprint, but, whether or not uh, he, being a business owner, can do it. Yeah, can execute all I, those things. At the same Maybe time, that's I why think, he has the farm. He's like, I need yeah. to like <laughs> supply <laughs> oxygen to this city. <laughs> but he also seems like he's torn as like a Texas boy because he still drives a a giant truck. He drives a truck because he owns the, fucking a farm, but three did, restaurants and sure, sure, yeah. But I mean, I don't know, yeah. He still is very uh, much a Texas boy. Yeah, you know what I mean, he's torn by that. You can fit a lot of farm crates in that truck yeah, bed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Meet yeah. a farmer who doesn't have a truck. I know he just got a truck, but yeah. he visits a lot of farms. That's true. That's true. A lot of market trips. Yeah. Um, do you do you remember the first dish you put on barley? Um. Oh, I do. It's kind of a lame one. It was lame. Okay. Yeah, I remember it. Was it fries with truffle? No, it was a tartare a t- dish. A fry tower. Uh, the dish itself was not lame. It was. It wasn't like you know a steak dish or something. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was a shared dish. It was a deviled egg. Okay. I marinated the egg in, I think, pepper brine and some other pepper ferment. Mm-hmm. And I took the yolk out. It was soft boiled. Took the yolk out. I blended it with a carrageenan-based brown butter caramelized egg white. Uh-huh. And it had this like very creamy brown butter eggy flavor to it. Okay. And I filled the center of the egg with that. And somewhere there was tartare in the dish. I think there was fried oyster mushrooms. I don't know. Oh, it's like a whole dish. It wasn't no, just like it a was snack like, No, it was like an egg bite. It was like a total snack on the a la carte menu. Huh. Okay. Um, it was just so long ago. I can barely remember all the... <laughs> Maybe it wasn't tartare. It, yeah, so it must have just been the the boiled egg white with the caramelized egg curd. That's oh, awesome. yeah, it was pressure cooked. <laughs> yeah, I like pressure cooked egg whites. Caramelized egg curd. That's what it was called. Okay. Filled the center of the egg with that, and then I fried oyster mushrooms and stuck it into that. Into the egg? Yeah. That sounds amazing. doesn't sound lame at all. That sounds amazing. It is, in classic fashion with my earlier dishes, extremely complex. (laughs) Yeah. The dish took... I don't think you could prep it in one day. Oh, shit. I love... I'm famous for having something you can't prep in one day. Yeah, for like a multi-day Chef, I forgot to tell myself to make this. Oh, <laughs> what are we going to do? Takes a whole day to prep the prep. fucking dish. Yeah. It's 4.30. Dim. Uh, <laughs> I think my second or one of my second dishes was a 
pork chop. And it was so simple. It was like a peach and red pepper coulis on the as the main sauce. Uh-huh. The pork chop was basted in bourbon butter. It had roasted red peppers that I cut into strips and dehydrated in pork fat. And it had grilled peaches that I pressed in some vinegar I made Uh and arugula garnish or something silly. It was just like steak and sauce. Yeah. That's, yeah. And peach. That sounds like something Bryce would like. Is that, was that a dish that you were really feeling or is that like you like trying to suss out what Bryce is into? I I'm sure he groomed me in a way to I think the sauce I remember making this red pepper coulis and being like is this lame <laughs> is this too culinary school yeah and he was like oh no it tastes good and it was just really pretty it was like it was nearly a hot sauce yeah that was peach flavored um and when we are talking about a pork chop, no one really cared about the set. It was about... That's right. They're just like... Yeah, just it's like a pork chop. this yeah. beautifully grilled and basted. The butter had honey in it. So as you lathered Ooh, it, it kept getting like caramel. crispier Ooh. and caramelized on the grill. Wow. It's very good. And the peaches were perfect and sweet. So it went mm-hmm. well with the, the hot sauce, which I'm calling a coolie. <laughs> That was one of my first. Oh, that's amazing. Um, what was your favorite station? Because you worked, you worked pretty much every station there, right? Once it opened, I did. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Saute. My time on Saute, we were we were basting whole proteins because mm-hmm. we had the a la carte menu. Um, I really liked working Grill Station as well. Um, the cool thing about saute versus grill is that when you're the grill cook, you cook the food, you don't really plate it. Yeah. Um, so on saute, the very least you're cooking it and you get to put your hand into plating it, which I always find really special. And there's nothing like having... You can obviously grill multiple things at a time, yeah. but your focus is different. Whereas when you're working a saute sh- station and maybe you have pasta going, you have like all these internal clocks yeah. going yeah. and you have a pasta timer in your head. You have something in the oven that you can't even see, maybe like a cornbread that you have to either have a timer physically on mm-hmm. or very aware of how long it's been in there. Yeah. And then there's that cooking surface that you can see. And you don't need a timer for basting a duck breast. You know when it's done. You like physically can see that. There's something really rewarding about multitasking that vastly. Whereas when you grill, it's very tactile. You see exactly what you're cooking. Yeah. You see 
where your hot spots on the grill are. It's yeah. really special, but there's nothing like being so manipulative of your cooking surface, mm-hmm. whether it be your burner, where your pan is on, you know, a French top, how hot your oven is, what spot the thing you're cooking is in the oven. Yeah. I think there's something really romantic about saute. Saute is really yeah. fun. Yeah. And then Garmo's always fun because you get to make stuff look really pretty. (laughs) I never really liked Garmo that much, but um, I'm learning. I've learned since uh, working at Barley's One that people really like Garmo and cold because they like the plating. But but I've never been that good at plating, so I never really really enjoyed it that much. But I've also never worked at any place other than Barley's Wine that, like, made – tried to make food look extremely beautiful, you know, so – Every once in a while, you plate something and you like look at the person next to you and you're like, oh, yeah, look at this. (laughs) Would you look at it? Yeah. And then you see Bryce plate and you're like, Jesus, what the fuck? I'm a monster. (laughs) 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 Like, why can't I do anything right? I know. He has this ability to take his tweezers and grab like a bundle of herbs in the end of his tweezer and like wow. somehow let go of one piece at a time. I've tried to do it so many times. Perfectly fall exactly where he told them to. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause when I was working cold, like, I saw him do it. And I was like, Oh my God, he could pick up like the best thing to do. 15 <laughs> cilantro leaves in the tip of a fine tweezer and, and just drags him. one magically falls at a time as yeah. he moves his hand like a yeah. wand. I would try to do it every single time, and it would fall in a clump. They all they yeah. <laughs> and Steven get mad at me because he's like he's like, come in the shit here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's supposed to be helping me. <laughs> but one time, Bryce, I was working meat, and uh, I didn't really talk to Bryce that much because this is in COVID, so like everything was there's so much to do. He yeah. was worried about other two other restaurants, and um, and like finally when he got to settle down, he was like helping me plate some ribeyes, and I salted the ribeyes. And then I put it on the plate and then he goes, he stops me for a second and he takes his tweezers. He moves, moves a, piece, a of piece of salt onto the piece of fat. And he goes, he goes, the salt, he goes, the fat likes the salt. And I was nice. like, okay, yes, chef. Yes, chef. <laughs> so you've seen him do that before. You've seen him move salt mm-hmm. as well. He does. I've definitely he, okay. seen him so that's do a that. signature move. Okay. I wouldn't right. say that he picks grains of Malden from his Malden bane and puts them on. No, something. yeah, yeah. But He'll if there, the let's pee. say a piece yeah. of Malden falls off of the food surface onto the plate, I've seen no. him Pick reassign it. it. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen that. Yeah. Well, shit, we've talked for like two hours, but uh, to wrap it up, uh, is there anything you're excited about coming up? Like anything food-wise or barley swine-wise or? That's really. Uh, yeah. That's really I feel true. Like I feel like you guys, oh, this is my obser- observation at least, is like you guys kind of get stuck in that cycle of like the same produce every year, um, the same, maybe the same dishes. And then, you know, if you have to rehire, then things get kind of, you know, weird and wacky. But uh, yeah. We are excited. We're hoping we usually slow down around the summer. Um, yeah. We are looking forward to hosting some dinners, maybe 20 people dinners on a regular Ooh, service nice. night. Doing something like a pork dinner and it's pork centric. 
was that was is is that mean like you're on top of everything else and like yeah you so on a, special, on a sunday where oh, on some sundays yeah. during the summer we potentially do like a quarter of the covers we should so uh-huh. kind of just something more exciting offering tickets for a, a so private like a ticketed dinner. dinner yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's awesome yeah we kind of talked about maybe kevin or i doing kind of a origin story of our cooking oh where, that's amazing let's say it's yeah chef alex's journey and there's so a dish dishes throughout your throughout whole career? Our career that That's really so stood cool. out to us. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to do the French fries. Oh, you'd have to do the French fries. Yeah, they'd have to be <laughs> huge. It would be like a laughable, <laughs> laughable portion large, of French yeah. fries. Three yeah. foot tall um, But fries. we have been... You'd have to do a Bryce one as well. about that. Oh, that would be fun. He worked like, at Boulevard. What is Boulevard famous for? I don't know what that in is. Uh, Boulevard, it's... Um, in San Francisco, there's... Oh, okay. A restaurant called Boulevard. It's been open forever, but they they probably do like 500 covers a night. Jesus. Um, he also worked at Whiskey Saloon downtown, right? Isn't that, isn't that the one downtown? I don't know. I'd have to probably. ask him about it. But, um, or you can ask him, but it's like down there on... Uh, fuck, where is it at? It's behind the, the stadium downtown. Oh, okay. It's called like Whiskey Saloon or something. I feel like it would be hard for Bryce not to do the odd duck pork belly slider the trailer oh he'd have to do that yeah, yeah. he would have to he'd have to do the chicken testicles he'd oh, have to yeah um, from the bourdain yeah he'd have to do that um yeah what would kevin do kevin kevin worked at a lot of places he worked at a peruvian restaurant that was one of his first places he'd have to do the hot dog he told me about hot dogs he said he used Did to hot, uh sell hot dogs that was his first job Oh no he'd way! To, That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> That's he would make the, a really good like the, like a mini hot, hot dog. dog, a mini little snack hot dog. Yeah. Corn dog. Corn dog. Yeah. <laughs> We've corn dogged before. Yeah, recently. Yeah. Yes. So at Barley Swine, look forward this summer <laughs> to some fun ticketed private dinners. Yeah, for sure. Like on the communal table. That'd be sick. A little yeah. social gathering. Yeah. I feel like that's the heart of Barley Swine. Like, kind of got away from that. Because remember, it used to be that there was that big table at bar, at the OG yeah. Barley Swine, and you just get forced in between two mm-hmm. two couples, and you just scream there and be like, talk at your friend, like yeah, four seats yeah. down. And then you'd see what they got, and you'd be like, or you'd like start talking with them, and yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah. So yeah. we're looking forward to that. To bring it back to that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think we just leave it on that. Perfect. After this four-hour conversation. Thank you for. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it.